Welcome back to Lucid Living, and if this is your first time, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you aboard. My name is Andrew Larkin. I'm an actor, model, performer, storyteller, breathwork coach, and today I'm going to be your host, your guide for today's podcast episode. All right, my friends, we're going to do a special breath today, which is very different, and we're going to breathe a total of 26 seconds, and that's an honor because today... I'm filming this on Thursday, August 31st. Today is my 26th birthday, and I want to honor it. So let's take this moment for us. <sighs> Start by exhaling. We're going to do an inhale for five and an exhale for eight twice. 13, 13, 26. <sighs> it's a beautiful day to be alive. Let's do this. All right, let's start by exhaling all the air out of our lungs in three, two, one. <sighs> And let's begin with the inhale in three, two, one. Inhale through the nose. Three, four, five. Exhale out the mouth. Five, six, seven, eight. Inhale. Five. Exhale. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Return to your natural breathing. Thank you, thank you. Namaste. All right, so for today's episode, I figure since we've hit a mile marker that it's a nice time to reflect whenever you have days, events, where, you know, it's it's different. There's a different energy to it. I like to look at birthdays, you know, it's the day you came into this world. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of the life that you've lived. And... I would like to speak on kind of what I've learned over these last 26 years, some experiences, some chapters and different seasons of my life. And I think it's interesting because I think we all have a foundation, a base of values based on our environment, based on how we grew up, based on our religious beliefs, our belief systems in general, what we value. And we want that to stay the same. Like I want to honor I want to live my life with respect. I want to live my life with compassion, with love. I want to be a, a great listener. I want to be all these things. And I don't think, I don't want that to change, right? But I think it's a disservice to say and to move throughout this world and be the same person you were yesterday and the same person I was four years ago, the same person I was eight years ago. Because I think growth is the most beautiful thing. And I'm a different person than I was yesterday, than I was a week ago, than I was a year ago, than I was four years ago. And especially when we're young, we go through different chapters in our lives. You know, middle school, four years, seemingly a very long time. But when we get older, it's kind of a short period of time. But those four years, it's a very different energy from high school's four years than from college's four years. Or if you didn't go to college, from getting into the workforce in those first four years. And then you get married. And then if you get married, uh, sometimes you go through different ebbs and flows, whether you experiment with a certain skill or a certain substance or a certain activity constant ebbs and flows of life and you're in different environments different communities and it's 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 so beautiful and so alive and i just i really want to honor that and i want to take some time today to just share a little bit about this might end up turning into a life story i don't want to make it too long because i got oh it's 11 11 it's 11 11 the angels are here baby and i got something that I gotta be at in about 45 minutes to an hour, so I'll try to keep it as as brief as possible. But I want to honor this time and share 
a little bit about myself and my journey and the things that I've learned because I think even in 26 years, it's, it's a very short period of time, but you know, some environments I'm super old, some environments I'm super young, it's all so relative. But I think, and there are moments where I learn more in two weeks about myself than I do in two years or four years at times. Because sometimes some seasons of my life, some chapters felt very stagnant. And then sometimes when you're traveling, you're, you're learning and growing and bouncing around so fast where you have to adapt. And that just propels your growth. Now I probably should have written some notes down and had a structure and trajectory for what events I want to hit. So there might be things that I, I skip out on or miss, but I think I'm just gonna go through the different seasons of my life and and share you know, to the best of my ability and see what comes through today. Because I think everything is, is divine in that way and I'm sitting here and, and calling in the intention to be present, to share from my heart. And hopefully you can take something away from this, from my failures. I learned so much from my failures, from my wins, from my experiences, from my different seasons, my different chapters. And it's not going to be as in-depth because sometimes there are certain chapters in my life where I could talk for hours and hours and hours about it. So I might just hit the surface of it. But we're here and I really want to honor this time, celebrate myself, celebrate this life. And the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. Yesterday was a blue moon which was a very rare moon and it's just I just feel I feel good it feels good to be alive so you can start with it's born August 31st 1997 <laughs> Bryn Mawr Birthing Center and I have a lovely mother a lovely father two sisters one older one younger and I was the middle child middle boy and we grew up in there was a lot of love, you know, I was, we were close with our, you know, my grandparents and we hung out with my cousins and it's interesting because my childhood, I don't know what it is, I heard, I didn't have a very traumatic childhood and I've heard when you go through trauma, we repress a lot of our experiences so we forget a lot about our childhood and I don't know what it is, maybe I just wasn't present or maybe I'm just so drastically different now than I was that a lot of specific childhood memories escape me and my little sister has amazing memory in regards to it but it's fascinating I have a few so glimpses here and there but not the full picture but there was a lot of love in our family but at the same time there was there was like a darkness inside of me that I couldn't really I guess run away from I remember I had this fond memory when I was I don't know how old I was I must have been maybe like five or so I'm not exactly sure, but I remember somehow being forced to stay inside and I wanted to get outside. And with my left hand, I started banging on the door, which is interesting because I probably could have just unlocked the door and opened it and gone out. But I was banging on the window, banging, banging, banging. And I heard a shatter and neighbors started running towards me. And it turns out that I shot my hand right through the glass window and my hand was bleeding and they ran me to get stitches in the emergency room and I have some nice nice a nice scar from it on my left hand and that was just very interesting when I was younger so there was some kind of darkness inside of me which is very fascinating and then we ended up moving because we had Becky or my little sister we moved to Phoenixville it was an outdoors area where we had nature and hiking and you know frogs and 
outdoor animals. I got I got bit by a turtle when I was really young, which is fascinating because I feel like the turtle is my spirit animal. I'll talk about the turtle when I go through high school, but there's something about the slow and the steady and, and especially sea turtle, like the ancient, the ancientness of an, a sea turtle and how big they get and how old they become. It's They're so beautiful. And I got bit by a turtle once. I was like, put, put my hand literally in its, in its mouth and just chomped right down. But I fell in love with nature. I fell in love with hiking. I fell in love. Me and my sister, we used to we used to play, we used to have these sticks and then we put this like red and green cardboard paper and folded it up into a little cylinder and we had these Star Wars fights and battles outside and we played capture the flag outside and outside was just, it was everything. And I had friends and we would just, we would just always play outside. I remember almost getting absolutely lost in the woods with my friend uh, from just, you know, being kids, getting lost. We didn't have phones. We didn't, we, it was just, I don't know, I think there is there is so much richness and beauty in those experiences and, and freedom and just a deep connection to nature which I think was instilled in me in that age and in that environment that we grew up in to where I am now where I deeply just feel called to nature and that's my solace, that's my my sanctuary, that's where I feel at home, it's where I feel alive, it's where I feel like I belong. So that's like it really started from a young age when it came to nature. When I was in second grade, pretty big event, I was skiing at the uh, Boy Scout event on like the bunny hill and we were with a group of people and I ended up falling behind and it was so fascinating. My dad, my dad like isn't, wouldn't call himself an athlete. He was a musician growing up. He's like one of the smartest guys I know, but he was, he was skiing um, on his own while I was skiing with this group of like Boy Scout kids. And I remember vividly, vividly remember this that I'm just like kind of on my own, kind of struggling on the ski slope. And I see my dad come up right next to me, just like an absolute badass, confident, strong. And we, we exchange a few words and then he goes down this big hill. And next thing I know, I open my eyes and I'm lying on the snow, just like my feet, it kind of looks like a, you know, the your legs are in the position of like a death where you know, they outline the body and I'm kind of just like lying there and then a ski patrol comes up and he grabs and puts me on, on the back and takes me to the their, their medical area and in there was also some kid with, you know, long blonde hair with uh, a helmet and he was a snowboarder and I come to find that I essentially got hit by a snowboarder and the snowboarder had a helmet on so I, again, I blacked out and I ended up getting a concussion which wasn't like a lingering concussion I've seen and have experienced my little sister had a really bad concussion where it lasts a very, very, very long period of time. Mine was very short in the grand scheme of things, and I, but I broke my collarbone. I chipped my two front teeth in the top and the bottom, and the collarbone break was pretty gnarly. And I was in second grade, so I had to go to school and write with my left hand. I was in a sling for a long time. I remember the pain of trying to move my shoulder and I remember not being able to play sports. Sports has been in my DNA since I was a kid, probably like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, um, playing basketball uh, in a community, playing flag football, then playing tackle football, then playing baseball. So if, when I was younger, it was baseball, basketball, and football. And I just remember it was like baseball season, I couldn't play because of my shoulder. And I remember going insane. I remember just absolutely 
losing my mind and being just, you know, a little brat at home, just causing trouble. And because I was so, I was so used to, I just needed to move my body. I needed to be antsy, and I, and I just couldn't because I was, I was forced to stay confined because of this injury. So that was a kind of a big part of myself where I realized that movement was a big part of my life from a very young age. So that was a chapter in my life. And then fourth grade, I remember, you know, I was one of the, like, the, the fast kids in our grade. And we had this relays, this, this Conestoga relays where, you know, we had these elementary schools. We had Valley Forge, Hillside. I don't even remember what the other ones were. Oh my goodness. Valley Forge, Hillside. That is crazy. Devon and another one. Oh my gosh. And all the school, all the kids came together and we would do a relay race. And I remember just doing really well at one of them. And my principal was like, I'll see you, I'll see you at Stoga, like on the track field. Um, and it was just really, really affirming. So ath again, athletics, I don't know where it came from in my family, but I was kind of blessed with hand-eye coordination, they would tell me, and then just an athletic ability and speed and instincts and stuff like that. And I remember growing up playing football. I, re I really loved football when I was younger. Pop Warner, Pee Wee football. I remember the, the heat of, you know, August preseason training. And I was like the running back sometimes, depending on the, the teams. I was, I was outside linebacker, or not linebacker, I was a cornerback, you know, all the things. And you learn a discipline, you learn how to connect and communicate with others. And the interesting thing about football, I remember the first time I played tackle football, I had never, never done anything like it. And I was on defense and the guy, we were doing a drill and the, the guy holding the football was running at me. And I put my hands, you know, like covering my, my Johnny, covering my goods. And I just kind of bounced off of him because I, I was like blocking him. I, I genuinely didn't know you were supposed to tackle him and then like how it worked. It was so, it's so interesting, you know? So anytime you learn a new skill, for me at least, I always, I just don't really know and I, I kind of super suck in the beginning. But then you stick with it and you grow and you grow and you grow and you fight and you fight. And I had asthma, so I was kind of a, a step behind. And I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And I remember this, some some teams that I played for, I was one of like the, the guys where I was the running back. And I remember once, once yeah, it was like me and Doc's ache and the kid was a force. I remember this kid, like, he was, he was almost like, not like, he was like an idea, like Doc's Aiken. This kid is, is is it. And then you got Andrew Larkin on the other side and like two guys on the same side, um, like not like best of the best. And then they finally face each other because we were on the same team. And I remember this drill vividly. He was on, he had, he was the running back and I was the linebacker. And it's basically you hit the one, three, five, seven hole. And you, they say three, two, one, go. Running back runs. And then you as a defender don't know which hole they're going in. And you got to make the tackle. Three, two, one, go. Docs just flew right by me. The kid was a force. I mean, the dude is absolutely like an incredible athlete. And um, we became good buddies over the years just through football. And then played basketball together for a season. But that was really cool. Just like experiencing that and then getting smoked. But um, I'm stoked to just where that kid's at now because he was such a light and such, such an incredible athlete. But you learn a lot being an athlete. And and you learn about connection, communi communication, teamwork, a lot of really great things, discipline, pushing past discomfort. You know, my it was it was wild. It was wild. So I was younger when I was younger. Football was a thing. Sports was a thing. Was a big thing. And then middle school happens. Fifth grade, sixth grade. I just had a lot of energy. And I remember me and my buddy were just laughing in class once, and my 
you know, my teacher called us the migglers, the man gigglers. You know, there was so much light and love, and I didn't care what other people thought. And it was just, we were just living, dude. And it was, it was awesome. And I remember, you know, I did a mythology piece where I kind of performed a monologue in front of people, and I loved that. And you would think, like, we can't do sports until 7th and 8th grade. And you would think that, or most of the kids, so because I couldn't do sports in 5th and 6th grade, you could do theater. So you would think, for me being an actor now, I went into the arts, but I didn't. Instead, in 5th grade, I found a badass baking book, and I became a baker. I watched Food Network all the time. I went through a major baking phase, and I was good. I was good. We made, we made creme brulee. We made baked Alaska. I made a puff pastry you know, cake, we made, oh, me and my dad made this gelatin, orange gelatin cheesecake, and I remember that vividly because we were making it all night, and it was the game, it was the Indiana Colts versus the, the Patriots, and, and it was such a great game, and it came down to the wire, and it was Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady, and me and my dad were cooking this cheesecake all, like, for hours, because you have to wait until let, let, let it sit, and it was, it was one of the fondest memories I've had with my dad when we were younger, and, and he'll talk about it too. It was, and one thing that I, I've learned from that is that it's, sometimes it's small moments, it's moments that seem insignificant that you don't plan for months. It's not prom, it's not you know the things that you wait. It's not the championship game. It's like sometimes it's just baking a cheesecake with your father. They're just like, you want to do this? Yeah, all right, let's do it. Like the most incredible memories. Sometimes it's when you think all plans are falling apart. If you can turn it around have a great mindset going into it and make it fun and bring love and light to it those can be the greatest memories of our lives dude and the things we really hold on to so needless to say i went through a baking phase in fifth and sixth grade and then seventh and eighth grade basketball football baseball game time like school was cool i was i had really good friends i you know sports was really good we went undefeated in football my seventh grade season and then eighth grade i was like the guy where I weighed 114.8 pounds and I was playing for 115. And I was the running back, I was the, the kick returner, I was the middle linebacker. You know, I was just, we were just a force and we were undefeated that season too. And I remember me and my buddy Pete Jean, we would fast pretty much all day and then we'd weigh ourselves, clock in 114.7, and then I would always have a banana, a banana muffin. And I, and I just loved football. I loved my coaches, loved my team. And it was just, it was just great. And I remember my buddy Brigham, we were best friends since elementary school. He was playing football too, and we were both averaging like two touchdowns a game. And we were just we were just like this, like we were we were homies. And I had really good friends with a lot of a lot of a lot of friends in seventh and eighth grade. And I remember, I think it was eighth grade. Me and Brigham would just sit at uh, lunch by ourselves. And I, I I loved my friends. I loved everyone else, you know. And it wasn't personal. It was just I don't know. It was just this 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 longing to be different to to kind of get outside of the crowd. And I still sat with my other friends every once in a while, but I don't know, there was something really cool and almost there was a rebellious nature, I feel like, in me at that time to go against the grain. And sometimes, you know, my friends would be like, yo, what's up, Bring my name's And then they would sit with us and, and chat with us. And so that was kind of a, a marker of wanting to be a little bit different. Again, middle school is a, little, a lot of people go through a really weird time. Middle school was amazing for me. Again, good friends. Sports was was really great. In eighth grade, dude, I was it was gnarly. In eighth grade, I after school I did track, and I was like the high jump guy. I remember I um I was like the high jump in the eight hundred, and I remember I was going against LM or Ridley, and it was like one of the highest. I think it was just five five, and apparently it was one of the highest they've seen. And like we had kids 
around our events um, other students other performers other parents watching us you know do this I ended up losing to the guy I think we both ended up not making five six or something like that but um but he out jumped me uh, the one before and it was just like a really cool event you know that was my first taste of a lot of people really watching you and as an athlete you're kind of a performer because you're in front of an audience every time you step on the field every time you step on the court so I would I would have track and then 800 I, I ended up doing a meet where I medaled for the 800 I came in first for the 800 and I came in third for the high jump and then there was like another I think it was just those two but so athletics was I was on fire in eighth grade so I had track and then I had rugby I played rugby for a season I actually really loved rugby and I loved tackling I loved running and it was fast paced it was it was very quick it was it was constant football is very stop go stop go rugby is constant and so I had and rugby crazy exercises I'm talking like the training for rugby was probably the, the most intense I've ever done so I would have track where I would run and then I would have rugby where I'd run even more and then I had basketball practice after that for my AAU team so needless to say I was in the craziest shape of my life in eighth grade I remember my grades fell a little bit but I think you go through a, a stage where you're really pushing yourself physically to that degree I had no idea like I had no idea about recovery or anything like that of food nutrition like I didn't think about anything like that but just the sheer ability to bang out three sports back to back to back I don't know if it was every day if it was three days a week or four days I don't really remember but it was really incredible and it kind of proves a lot to myself of kind of who I was and how I devoted and and I kind of my dad instilled in me when I was younger you know you sign up for something you stick it all the way through and that really stuck with me I remember when I was young a really big moment probably the greatest teaching moment or parenting moment my dad had in my youth was playing basketball basketball ended up becoming my sport and when I was younger my birthday is August 31st and the cutoff to be in my age I'm a little bit older for my grade and if I was born September 1st, I would have played basketball with the kids in my grade. But since I was born August 31st, I was one day early, so I had to play with the kids a grade above me. And so I found out during, <laughs> I want to say auditions, but what, what, is it, what is it even called? It's like auditions for the basketball tournament team. I don't even know. Um, and I went in there expecting to, to try out. I think try out, try out. To try out for the the tournament team for my my year my grade and they said I was too old and I, I remember crying I was crying my eyes out and my dad takes me aside so I had like an hour to burn before the tryout for the guys a year above me and I remember just crying my eyes out and my dad was like like hey if you if you do this all you gotta do is try out if you just try out then I'll let you pick any video game that you want. And at this time, I had the Wii. The Wii was the greatest thing ever. And and it sold me. I was terrified. I was terrified. And I tried out. And I survived. And I remember the feelings and the emotions of just being around the older guys, you know, being the young gun. And my dad afterwards honored his word. And I went to get Super Smash Bros. And loved that game. Great game. And and then I get the call like a week later, however long it takes, that I made the B team. The A team, you know, those guys, like, yeah, Dio, Marty, you know, my, all the guys, the guys who I are like my, my brothers now. 
but at the time they were just older and scary and and just incredibly athletic i was still really young again this is like fifth grade maybe fourth grade fifth grade so i'm really young and that year makes a big difference at that age but i made the b team and turns out i think they told me i was the last person on my b team on the b team to get made there was something about me or i think they knew me from paley wildcats which is like the league that we do and um i was on the b team and i was the last guy picked and over that year you know just getting closer with my teammates and you know we, we traveled it was travel basketball and i just grew and grew and grew and i just took it really seriously and i committed myself and i and i fought and i fought through the discomfort fought through the the limiting beliefs of being too young and at the end of the season the coach awarded me with the most improved player of the year so i had this grit inside of me and there's something about when you're young and you play with older guys you grow a lot faster that was kobe bryant played with i think he was in middle school and he was playing with the high school varsity guys and there were games there there were sessions there were, there were games where he wouldn't score a point but he was playing with guys a lot older than him and you you, you grow really fast and you and you learn really fast and you, and you build a toughness and so i had that when i was young which was which was really cool so that's a another part of me that i kind of take with me is my work ethic in regards to that so that was another chapter of my life and then middle school playing basketball and then high school high school is when things shifted for me high school was when the two high schools or the two middle schools emerged together and i look at my high school we were like the nice kids we had really like good parents didn't really drink too much we didn't talk about sex like we didn't we just we hung out we had a good time i remember having a party with the friends the parents were there it was just it was just cool you know we were cool we were sober everything was great and the middle the other kids they were these kids were they were drinking they were they were the way they, they talked differently they moved differently um it was just a different energy and i was i wasn't used to that and just growing up with you know the father and mother that i have who doesn't drink doesn't smoke doesn't do any of that and my friends parents like they don't do any of that too it was kind of a culture shock and then we combined these two groups of people and and at this point, you know, you hear people's names, certain guys, certain girls, and it's kind of just, they're all, we're all kind of just a reputation, a certain thing, you know? And it's so funny. And then you meet each other and it's like, oh my gosh. And I remember high school was really strange for me because it was, it was that shock. And there was in, an introduction to drinking. I didn't drink freshman year, but I went to some parties, but I was, I, people were drinking. I was like really uncomfortable and I, I just didn't really vibe with it. And and friend groups changed and the rigors of classes changed and I remember freshman football season I love football we didn't have a quarterback so I tried out to be the quarterback and I was the quarterback for our freshman football team and I loved it to a degree my dad says it was like one of the best I still think eighth grade was my best season but he said freshman year was one of the best seasons I've had but I just didn't like not being able to play defense and I didn't feel I, I couldn't throw a football in the cold to save my life but I loved running, I loved hitting, I loved the atmosphere. But um, I just felt like the football guys weren't really my brothers as much as the basketball guys. Basketball happens. I'd been playing, I started playing AAU with the guys who were on the A team at this point. So the guys who were really scary when I was in fifth grade, I started playing with them more uh, and more and more and more and getting comfortable with them. And freshman year, I was, me and my buddy Daryl, Daryl is a, was a generational talent. This kid was a freak when he was younger and he was taller and bigger and faster and good coordination, good pull-up jumper, great ball handling, just strong, just a beast. And he made varsity his freshman year. And I originally was on the freshman team 
my freshman year and then they bumped me up to JV and it was uh, it was weird how they did it like our coach Troy pulled me aside and tried to like belittle me and then told me you made JV and the JV team was kind of in scrambles like like we had a very small roster the team was kind of all over the place but my coach was he was my my AAU basketball coach too just the best best one of the best coaches I've ever had and I flourished on that team again youngest guy there and I'll say this out of all four years of high school that was the best basketball I ever played so I played with guys above me I I, I was gritty I was I wasn't just a shooter I was an attacker I, I had great reflexes on defense um, there were some just really great games some really bad games but I just I, that was that was me I was playing basketball the way you know I was I was I was capable of and again something about playing with guys older than me that excites me and then I played f lacrosse for like a season freshman year for the spring and I remember actually being academically ineligible and that's never happened to me in my life so I went through a struggle with academics where I just hated math English was a bore um, my teach I just didn't enjoy my teachers I didn't like I, I just didn't connect with school really and I struggled and then sophomore year I made I dropped bass I dropped football and basketball was everything and then I got varsity bass or sophomore year and I was our team was really good but uh, that was sophomore year was when I started drinking I started getting involved in this world and I started experimenting we went to parties we um, school was still kind of eh, you know school honestly all four years high school was when I really went through my stuff and I didn't know who I was and it was really confusing and and I felt like I was kind of in a box because I was just a basketball guy and I couldn't really be anything else. And no one told me that, but I just felt that. And uh, I remember going back to why I think the turtle is my spirit animal is because uh, my buddies used to say when I would go out and drink, when I started drinking, dude, I was just, I was me. I was dancing, I was fun, I was energetic, I was talking. When I wasn't and I was in school, I felt like I had a, I couldn't be me. And I, I didn't, I didn't. How can you feel like you can't be you if you don't know you? And that's where I was when I was in high school, dude. I just didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I liked. My bedroom and when I was like growing up, I didn't have role models. I didn't have people that I really looked up to. I had a, I remember having a Russell West or a Brian Westbrook poster in my room for the the Eagles running back. But I just didn't have a lot of decorations. I didn't have a lot of passions. I wasn't much of a reader, you know. I just it was just sports, and I just kind of floated along. And. Once I started drinking, I was, and it's not just drinking. I was drinking with my brothers. I was drinking with my homies, and I lo and I loved them, and and we had a great time, and and I just started opening up. And every time I drank, I started there was a different there was a flip that was switched, and my friends would say Larkin's coming out of his shell, like a turtle coming out of his shell, you know, and that it kind of became a thing. Uh, they also called me Lark the Shark, my nickname, but the turtle was a big symbol, and it was true, you know, I really. My inhibitions went down. I didn't care about what people thought. I thought I cared deeply about what other people thought when I was in high school, and I didn't know I was creative. I didn't know I was artistic. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't explore. I just. I was just playing basketball. Just playing sports. I was just hanging out with my friends, and that was kind of it. I wasn't growing. School. I wasn't. <laughs> I couldn't tell you a thing that I learned in school. To be honest, there were very few classes where I really learned something that has stuck with me today, and. Um, and that was a big thing. So freshman year, I mean sophomore year, drinking, basketball was everything. Junior year, I remember fresh sophomore year we lost in states. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna ball out. I'm gonna like really work my ass off this off season. 
and I did. I wore, I woke up at like 5 a.m. before school, and I started working out with my buddy, um, practicing my shot, practicing, you know, working out in the gym, and I was playing the best, the best basketball I played all season, or my whole year probably. I was shooting the best I'd ever shot. I was making strong decisions. I was a junior, and my best friends were seniors, and we were good. We were really good. And two days, two days before I season opener against Germantown Academy, which was a great game. I got diagnosed with mono and this was like a, a massive moment and it turns out over those months I became known as like the guy with mono so if I had friends who had thought they had mono and came to me and asked me yo dude I, 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 I do I have mono it was like a thing and I missed that whole season except for our state championship game but by that time I was so out of shape but it was actually a really cool moment I'll share but that was a big moment in my life because like the pandemic did for a lot of us I was going through this rote routine where it was the same thing all the time and then bang everything that you know everything that you love everything that's been fused to your identity has been taken away which is basketball which is my homies so i couldn't practice i was just shooting on the sidelines playing video games in the locker rooms you know just i became depressed you know deeply depressed and i didn't know how to handle it i didn't know how to talk to people i didn't want know what to talk about i went to school I did my work, I didn't talk to anyone, I didn't go out of my way for anyone, I didn't look people in the eyes, I gave shit hugs, I went home, did some homework, ate some food, went to practice, shot around, tried to support my teammates the best I could, went home, fell asleep, did it all again, it was clockwork, and it, it destroyed me in a, in a really beautiful, profound way, and it had me reflect on my life, like what do I want to do with my life, because at this time I had gotten, I had gotten letters you know, from D3 basketball coaches, because I'd I done some camps and and just preseason games where there's some interest and and I was absolutely on the track to go to a D3 basketball school and play and play basketball at some uh, D3 school probably pretty locally to PA or some neighboring you know so that's that's absolutely what I would have done but then the pandemic I mean not the pandemic the that uh, that getting mono changed that and then I ended up. I had AAU the next season, which was like the, 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 the season when you're a junior going into your season year, that's when you really make an effort to to sell yourself to, not agents, but to coaches and schools to get noticed to, to go to college. And I was on a team and I remember these were new guys. It was only me and my buddy Daryl and one other friend that I, I, I had known. Everyone else was new. Um, bunch of solid white dudes, you know, we were they were good, we were good. But I remember just my heart was out of it. I was still out of shape because I was coming out of, you know, being on the sideline for so long. And I remember rolling my ankle and layup lines. And I just, I was like, my body's, I remember thinking my body's not made for this. And I ended up, for the first time in my life, bailing. And I had a meeting with my coach and I was like, I can't do this. I, like, I just don't think this is me. And I, it was like this deep magnetic pull that I'm supposed to do something else and that that wasn't my path and at the time I was like I don't know if I want to go to college I don't know what I wanted to do I was so confused I was so lost senior year I just kind of went through the motions um, I ended up doing like a lot of promposals which like I did on stage and so that was the first time I got a taste of my performative you know arts I took a theater arts class senior year in high school and I fell in love with it first time I'd ever enjoyed class first time I ever did a, a 
homework assignment because I genuinely enjoyed it and wanted to see what I was capable of instead of getting a grade. I didn't care about the grade. First time I'd ever, I'd ever experienced that. So I fell in love with, with that freedom. Like you, you're telling me you're gonna give me like a grade, like I'm getting, my homework is to like pretend to be an animal and to study lines and interact with you know, my, my peers and, and do improv. Like it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. And I just, I fell in love with that, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do after school. And then I ended up landing on Coastal Carolina because they ended up coming to our, our school's um, like a career day event or like a college day. And I just was like, this sounds cool. It's by the beach. I love the beach. I love the ocean. I want to swim with dolphins, marine science. Yeah, let's go. It was expensive. I didn't really know how to do anything with the financial stability thing but I was like I need to get out of here looking back I really would have loved to explore doing a gap year but I ended up going to coastal and freshman year was really lost didn't have a lot of friends didn't know where parties were my roommates who I was assigned you know they didn't party um, and I was remember the first couple weekends I was just inside watching that 70s show and then I ended up having a friend introduced me to a guy, got me into a fraternity. Turns out that fraternity was the same fraternity my dad went to. And I ended up joining them. And turns out that they were like the smallest fraternity in that whole university. Very new. Um, not a lot of, you know, like a lot of guys are like really great athletes and dancers, like all these things. Like we didn't have a lot of that, but they like to drink and like to party. And again, really small. And truth be told wasn't really the group of guys that I'd been hanging out with in high school so it's just a different change of pace but then I joined and I ended up just doing a lot of drinking because that's that was the culture right we had uh we had what is it called tail tailbacking tailgating 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 and we tailgated every weekend you would drink at least twice a week you know some mostly three times a week it was just the culture it's just how things were in that environment and I remember, you know, I, I got a leadership position where I was, you know, the risk manager and learning, growing and connecting with guys and just having a support system of guys. And also this fraternity, we actually didn't haze, which was kind of interesting. We had some guys who were like actually wanted to be haze. Every fraternity had hazing, but we didn't, which was actually like kind of cool because I have a whole story about, not a story, but I have a perspective on, on the trauma that that can instill in young boys. But uh, yeah, the and then I, I did intramural basketball and I just, again, we didn't have a ton of athletes and I just, I was the guy. And the other fraternities started to like notice me. And we did dances, we did homecoming dances in mock rock, which was, you know, the Greek week, you know, dance. And again, we didn't have a ton of dancers, so I was like the guy. So we did this dance and these girls, you know, were just like at the front, they just, I was talking to some girls afterwards and they are like, we only were watching you. And there was this, the first, dance I did for mock rock I was like the guy in the front every time we had just like the men the boys do a a dance number and at the very end it's me like it was a fast and furious thing and I had this flag and everyone kind of left the stage and it was just me standing there and I basically say a couple lines throw the flag and walk away and in that like five seconds of silence the girls started screaming and they thought I was gonna have like a solo dance number and then I'm throwing it and leaving. <laughs> but it was like a really cool, really funny kind of interesting thing. I was like, whoa, that's that's interesting. I didn't know I could, that was, it was cool like to be a dancer, right? And I just loved it. And I had girls in my class who were a part of like Gamma, Gamma Phi Beta and 
saying like all oh, their girls are like in love with me and granted didn't take advantage of that but it was just i became this like weird this crazy dude you know that was and then i had guys who were working or who were reaching out to me who were in like the bigger fraternities being like bro why didn't you rush us like andrew what are you like <laughs> i had some guys from like like sig app who came up to me called me playboy and and you know i we were doing dodgeball and my team won dodgeball and he was like dude you have a cannon like all like all this crazy praise and it's interesting because growing up with sisters i was always really good at talking to girls and i had and then sophomore year i got really close with 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 these girls who became my best friends and i was around a lot of girl talk but i've always i've always had a way to connect with guys as well there was never really a threatening component to it guys were pretty open and they were complimentary and some guys who you you kind of see from a distance in the gym or in a certain thing we ended up just like talking and then we were homies and um so i always had a way with people that i started to explore and i started to understand and and really loved i loved i loved dancing i loved performing i started to fall in love with that i did a pageant and i won the pageant um you know the it was just kind of crazy and that was the first two years of my college where i was i was like all right this is pretty cool and then sophomore year i also started working at starbucks which is one of the best decisions i ever made i learned so much about myself you know sometimes i had to couldn't catch the shuttle. I had a 7 a.m. shift, so I had to. I ran from my dorm, which was like kind of a walk. A walk. It was like a 15-minute walk to get to uh, to get to work. And you practice multitasking skills. You practice, you know, being an artist and making these these beautiful drinks, right? Starbucks and making food and practicing small talk and connecting with people. And I started. I remember saying like, I want to get this job because like I want to be the guy who goes to a bar and someone says you're the Starbucks guy. I wanted that so badly. And this Starbucks was connected to our library on campus. So people were pulling all-nighters, people were regulars, you know, I, uh, it was a, just an incredible way for me to connect with people and to build relationships. And Starbucks was a really important experience for me. I, I worked there all three years and because I realized the power of connection, the power of seeing someone, of calling someone by their name, I realized that not only Am I providing a service, right? When we're in any kind of customer service, any kind of work, you're serving someone. I'm serving others, I'm making a drink for someone, right? That's that's a great thing for me to give to someone else. But what I didn't realize until a couple months and years of doing it is with the gift that they give me by coming, smiling, saying my name, and then telling me how their day is, right? There is a reciprocity to this exchange. And I brought that with me and I'm going to bring that with me for the rest of my life when it comes to small businesses. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So I just started really finding my place, but I started drinking a lot and I started blacking out a lot. I wouldn't throw up, but I would, I would just, my memory would start getting in. I was, it was fuzzy and it was, it was chaotic. And it was, I just, I had moments where, you know, I would black out one night and then I would go to the tailgate that's like I would black out on a Tuesday and I'll go to a tailgate on a Saturday and a girl would come up to me that I didn't recognize say oh my god you really get that blacked out worst feeling ever right and I was just like what are you doing Andrew and when I was in high school like alcohol was great because I didn't know who I was and I was like able to express myself but now it was becoming this isn't this isn't healthy anymore dude like this is you're becoming someone that you don't like getting like kind of kicked out of a bar or kicked out of a thing because you're just too drunk like an event like it was just it became too much and I it took me time and time and time again of falling on my face until I made the decision to say Andrew you gotta stop doing this to yourself and it's unfortunate that it takes hitting rock bottom sometimes 
to make the decision to take care of your health, take care of your body. So nevertheless, I went through that whole journey and I remember going to Five Points in uh, at USC for this event, Lambda Chi Alpha. You know, you, we were meeting the Lambda Chi Alpha at, at USC and we went there, we went to a bar and I was just chatting with this one kid in that fraternity and they just carry themselves differently. These guys were like the top dogs at this fraternity, at this school in the Greek world. And this bar was really cool. Five Points is like a super dope place where there's all these really cool electric, you know, alive bars and clubs. And I was like, dude, this is super cool. Like you do this every weekend, like this is sick. He's like, bro, we do this every day. And I was just like, what? I didn't say that, but you know, thinking about it, I'm like, there really is a culture there and I just, when you're in it, you're like, this is the only thing that exists until you get outside of it. So basically, I started self-exploring and tapping into myself and actually sitting with myself. I started doing yoga and I started thinking like, I'm like, this, is, this isn't this is serving me anymore. And again, dad instilled in me, you sign up for something, you see it all the way through. And then it turned out that I, this wasn't serving me anymore. So first time in my life, I really, I, I, I sent him a message and I was like, guys, I love you guys, but... I need to go on my own path. So I dropped the fraternity and then I ended up, then that summer I went to Costa Rica and Panama and changed my life. I was, I was, um, I was alive. I smiled differently, I smiled brighter. I have photos of me playing the ukulele with little kids in this, this little tribe. And you can ask my older sister, like, I, first night there, dude, I go, and I meet this group of people we went with, um, this group of 25 people between the ages of like 18 and 30, and we had a tour guide, and it was just, I just met these people for the first time. My older sister, you know, we got there kind of late at like nine o'clock. My older sister went to bed because she had like jet lag, and I was like, yo, we're in Costa Rica, let's go. And I went out with a bunch of essential strangers who I became really close with over the next 14 days. Went out to a club, and we went dancing, got some drinks, first experience in another country, you know, buying drinks, drinking ages 16, um, 20 at the time, I think. And I started a dance, we started a dance circle, it was me and this other kid from like Minnesota, apparently, turns out, and we just, he had this like group of, of, you know, Costa Rican kids behind him, and we just had this like dance off, I was in a tank top, and I was just so alive, and I love dancing. I love dancing, you know, I, even over the next couple of years at school, just going to the, the coop and going to certain bars and just being the dancing guy I just I would sweat my ass off and I just fell in love with that energy I felt so free and alive and Costa Rica just changed my life dude and I saw a group of individuals with uh, we went to this artisan spot where we had we saw families in these clay huts some families were you know making dresses some families were doing making ceramics some were doing drums you know they had different entrepreneurial endeavors and they had their families their kids you know kicking the soccer ball around watching this 12 inch screen brick tv and you know they had so little so little and they were so happy the smiles on their faces they were so alive and i learned so much from that I learned so much from that because, you know, I'm at this university, I'm spending a lot of money on this university, having all these opportunities, these resources, and something just felt off. Like my, my flip wasn't switched, you know, my spark wasn't kindled. Like I was just, I didn't feel alive. And when I was there, I felt alive, you know? We were swimming in waterfalls. I was, I was out in nature. We went surfing. We, we talked to locals. It was just, it was, it was, 
It was amazing. It was amazing. And I came back. I was a middle-level education major for like a year and a half. And I had a really bad meeting with my advisor when I came back because I missed the first three days of school or four days of school. And I missed the orientation for the education program, which was a big deal. And I emailed all my professors, but some of them still kind of destroyed me in a way. And my advisor was... God rest her soul. I mean, she's still alive. <laughs> her name is Dr. Savage Davis, and I don't mean to put any dark energy or hate or resentment towards her because I've, I've healed from this, but she was a very large woman and struggled with obesity. She struggled every time she was walking. She was breathing really heavily, and there's something about when you see an individual who physically seems unfit, it's hard for me to kind of listen in a way, which is maybe the wrong thing to say, but at the time I was like, I was like, she was, oh my God, it was so, it was such an interesting time because I came there and I had this meeting because she called me in and I was like, I just had the most transformational journey of my life. And she started just destroying me and saying how unprofessional it was knowing that you had classes the first week of school. The first week is usually syllabus week, right? And how not everyone's set to be a teacher and just, just bang 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 and then another woman comes in opens the door says oh you're Andrew Larkin I'm like yeah, yeah and I was all excited to tell her about my trip and she was like bang 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 about the fact that I didn't show up when I should have showed up and then I went on I was on vacation when I should have been studying and the darkness and that I was just getting pelted and pelted and pelted first day back and I also had just gotten on campus and I'm alive and my chest is raised and I start walking on campus and everyone's head is in their phones and head is down and the energy was just, I was, it was like I was in another world that felt so alive. And then I came to university and I was like, this is reality. This is where we're at. And then I had that meeting with my advisor. I started crying afterwards and I called my sister. I'm like, dude, I can't do this. I, uh, I don't, I don't know what to do. And you know, you devote two and a half, two years to university it's kind of a waste of money to just bail right so you see it through and dad right you see it all the way through so I ended up changing my major I was got in inter interdisciplinary studies where I was able to focus on communication and sociology and I had a great advisor I started taking communication classes which I fell in love with I had communication 101 where I had a professor she was old and wise and I was a big fan of Tom or of uh, Drew Brees because she had met him before and first time I ever had a woman talk about an experience in her life where someone did something wrong where it was like a they were doing their her yard or gardening or stuff like that and they messed up the garden and it was like a really kind of not a traumatic thing but a pretty they did they messed up pretty bad and she said instead of reacting take a breath take some time off and then you respond which is really cool and then in that class made some friends I ended up doing some presentations and then afterwards my professor comes up to me after class she's like Angel come here um, advanced public speaking I want you to take it next semester so I took advanced public speaking next semester and I fell in love with it and it was one of those things where you know sometimes you're in this, this state of life where you're like I don't think I'm great at anything you know you're kind of good at stuff but I'm not really great at stuff and I had an inferiority complex where if I saw other charismatic confident guys I would shrink you know and that was my shadow because I felt like 
I couldn't express that part of myself, but I knew that was that was in me, and it, I was mad at them, but it was really myself because I couldn't express them, and they had the courage to do that, but I was pissed off because I couldn't do it. It was my shadow self, and this is gonna be a, <laughs> this is getting long. This is getting long. We might have to cut ourselves off soon, but I I found out that I was really good at public speaking, and I gave these presentations, and there was there was improvisation involved with this class. Um, our professor did Toastmasters and she we did these skills where she gave us like a prompt and we had to just just kind of improvise it and I gave this presentation where I gave a debate and I was so terrified of debates when I was younger but I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I was confident and I did really well in our debate and we won but I talked really fast because I had a lot of information I wanted to share and everyone gave me because our class gives notes to the, the performers and I did you know amazing awesome great work Andrew but slow down slow down and then the next presentation that I give was I um we had to do an apology letter to to it could be anyone it could be yourself giving an apology to someone you bullied when you were younger or pretend to be someone else so I pretended to be Michael Vick apologizing for dog fighting and I had a couple notes on my paper and then I just riffed it and I was slow I was methodical I was thoughtful and it was dramatic it was really dramatic and then my professor, you know, the class is just kind of quiet. And the professor's like, do you do drama? And I was like, yeah, I dabble, I dabble. You know, I because I love theater. And so I started to, and then afterwards, I remember reaching out to my buddy Marty, and I was like, dude, because I had given up acting for a bit. There was a time where I made a short film, and like a, a year before that I made a short film, I wanted to get into modeling to get into acting, and then I kind of fizzled out. And then I reached out to Marty. After that moment, after that encounter, I was like, dude, I need to pursue this because... There is something here that is innate in me, and if I put my heart and soul into it, I think I can be really good at this. For like, I was always good at basketball, I was always good at sports, but I was never the best. And it's not about being the best, but there is something different about performing in theater and, and just feeling like when I'm truly myself and I'm truly free to express, I light up. And it's not just that it comes, it doesn't come, like it comes naturally in a way, but it was that I loved it as well, and it was fueled with love and passion. Every, I had theater, and I had a monologue that I was doing a week or two, and I was working on my monologue, but I had a math test in two days, and I fucked the math test. I wanted to work on my monologue. So I started to find out what I really loved. And then junior year, I got a new apartment. I, was, I got a new roommate, my boy Drew, who became my brother, and bought my first surfboard on my birthday, August 31st. I skipped a class, and I went surfing and I just fell in love with it and got my first wetsuit. And then me and my buddy Drew, we just, we watched, you know, surfing documentaries. We watched, you know, Jamie O'Brien, YouTube surfing videos. We went surfing all the time, got in the surf club, went to surf trips, and I just deeply fell in love with the ocean and fell in love with surfing. Also fell in, uh, not fell in love, but I started smoking a little bit of weed and I went through that journey and the point where I started buying it myself. And I went through the experience, I went through the gamut. I at first it was like this is really fun it's in an environment it's in a community setting when you're sharing and passing the joint around there's something connective there's you're you're sharing something you're sharing experiences your guard is down it feels good and then you do it a little bit more and a little bit more your tolerance gets a little higher and then you do a little bit more than you need to and you get paranoid and you start freaking out and it doesn't feel good anymore and then you start doing it again and again and again and then you're like Andrew we got to take a beat here why are we doing this what is how is this serving us so i went through a phase junior year really where it started to get not not bad i had friends who were 
smoking all day long. That was never me. But I explored, explored, and I experimented with it, and I lived it. I did it. It served its purpose, and now I don't smoke anymore. Um, and I went out to the point where it doesn't serve me. And if I do do it, like if I'm in an environment and someone's passing around a joint, and I do it, I feel into my body. Sometimes if I'm dancing, I'm cooking, I'm, and I just take a little hit. You know, it feels pretty good. But nine times out of ten, now if I do it, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way I present myself the way I go internal, the way I present externally, and it just doesn't serve me as much. And as I've started working on health and fitness and mindfulness, when I am on and I'm healthy and I'm vibrant and I'm breathing and I'm, I'm flexible and I'm stretching and I'm strong and I'm all these things, I feel so much better than when I'm on substance. So the moral of the story, I realize I'm like sharing a story instead of sharing my lessons like I said I was going to, is that a lot of people sometimes are so afraid of alcohol, afraid of smoking, that they just get away from it. And I'm actually really grateful for my experiences in abusing. I will use the word abuse. It wasn't to the point where a lot of people go through alcoholism. It was never, eh, alcohol was, it got pretty unhealthy relationship for sure. But I lived it. I was able to experience it. And now I'm outside of it. If I had never experienced that, there would always be something in me thinking, oh, what if I tried it? What if I did this? Oh, no, no, no. Right? And... Now I can also connect with people who drink who might be going through that same thing that I went through. And because I went through it and came out the other side, I can connect and share with, with them. I can talk to them the way that someone who maybe hasn't experienced that can, right? So I'm really grateful for the struggle that I went through with that substance. Same thing with smoking weed, right? And I had a lot of friends and I didn't realize how many people smoked weed. I didn't realize how many beautiful people drowned out the noise of the chaos of life with pot right and I was in an environment I was in a community of people and and again community connection we will do crazy shit to feel like we belong we really will and I think that's a fact you know we'll do drugs we'll try the thing we'll try the line we'll do we'll do all these things and connection is what we want we don't need the substance we want to be seen we want to be heard understood feel like we belong that's what we want in this life and it's unfortunate that I had to go through the struggles to get there, but I got there. And I'm grateful for the struggles. And I think we should always be grateful for the struggles because that's where the lessons lie. So I'm really grateful for those experiences that I've had. And then junior year, right, got this new apartment, started surfing more. I was in the Rotorac Club, which was a community service event, a club where um, we did community service and I fell in love with it. I found this passion for serving, being service above self. I have senior year, I was vice president of the club. We would go to, we would do smart snacks so we would wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning and go to an elementary school and, and pack snacks for kids who can't afford snacks we did beach cleanups we did soup kitchens is that the right word soup kitchens I forget what they're called but it was just I just felt so alive and then you know when you're on the board you're able to go to meetings and turns out rotary is is a is a club across the world we were in we were in Panama when we were in Panama we were in Costa Rica and Panama when I was there and we were at this hotel, and I saw a rotary sign. There was a rotary meeting in Panama. 144 countries, I believe, across the world. Amazing. So we had older people at the meeting. We had high school kids at the meeting. It was incredible. I was able to see how people talked in this uh, business setting, how they planned, how they um, support each other, and just really beautiful events. I was hosting, you know, this this 5k run that was money went towards cancer right like all these just great things and I fell in love with serving 
and being uh, service above self. That was a big part of my life at that time throughout college and still today, you know, giving back. I, I did a mentoring program uh, during the pandemic a bit where I was, I was, I was working with this church where I was, I was mentoring boys and there were a lot of female mentors, but there weren't a lot of male mentors. And it was a, it was a joy. And again, the thing that I learned, just like I learned from Starbucks was, I think I'm giving, right? And that's, I'm giving a gift. I'm giving to someone and that's, there's honor in that. But what we don't realize unless you do it is that when you give, you receive. And I receive almost more than I give, I I swear. Especially when you're working with kids and you're being of service to kids, the energy they give you, the, the, the way they see you, the way they play with you, the way they bring out your inner child, it's alive. And I fell in love with that, so I love, I love kids. That's why I wanted to be a teacher, right? I love kids, I love being of service. I started doing yoga, and yoga was the first time in my life where I started getting out of my own head. Because I'm so worried about what other people think. And first day of yoga class, you get there, and you're kind of like doing these weird yoga positions. Your body is not used to it, it's kind of uncomfortable, and you look over your shoulder to see if other people are doing it the way you should be doing it, or if other people are better than you, right? All these inner monologue is so loud. And then you go again, and again, and again, and you start getting not, not even just comfortable with yourself and your body, but you're in a container where you go consistently enough where you form a family in a way, and you know each other's names, and there's that connection, and I started getting flexible, yes, but my mind started changing. I started becoming mindful. I started enjoying meditation. I started being aware of my thoughts. I, I yoga was a, was a big factor in my transformation because it got me into mindfulness and just being aware of that. And then junior or senior year as well was when I picked up a book for the first time. I remember we were on the shuttle and everyone was on their phone. I just felt icky when I was on my phone. And I, I, would, um, I was just like, I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't wanna be just like everyone else. I remember when I was in high school, I would walk with a crowd of people, a crowd of guys and girls, and there's like 10 of us. And I felt so uncomfortable being in a group of people that I would intentionally slow down so other people could walk ahead. So I would be different, right? There's so, I think from a young age, it was hard for me to express. I wasn't like an activist where I was actively swimming upstream and being different, but there was a part of me that craved being different. And I didn't like what everyone else did, doing what everyone else does, thinking the way everyone else thinks. And that was, that's been a part of me for a while, but I, I didn't really understand that until I got older. And I love being different. Being weird is such an incredible compliment. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be like everyone else. Why do I want to be like everyone else? We're all so unique and different with different gifts and abilities. So another lesson that I learned is embrace your differences. Embrace the weirdness of you. The things that, that the skills that you have, the, the, the parents that you may have, the siblings that you may have, the way that you grow up, the way you eat, the way you move, the way you, the things you're passionate about. Embrace what makes you different because it sets you apart and it's it's just, sometimes it can be a lonely journey, especially when you go on, you break out of the matrix, you know? And my mom has been out of the matrix for a very, since I was a kid, so I'd been surrounded by that and I had a little bit of framework for that, but it's not until you actively break out of that where your life changes and you're so far removed from kind of the autonomic systems where people are on autopilot and doing what everyone else does, what everyone else thinking the way everyone else thinks, following all the rules and the laws, and then you break out of it, 
it's it's hard for other people to accept. So it can be a lonely journey, and it's it's a personal journey. And I've been on that personal journey for like four or five years now. And what a gift it's been to me, understanding myself, knowing myself, loving myself, because now I can move with intention, move with grace, live the way that I want to live, be conscious and aware and not ignorant. Ignorance, ignorance is not bliss. I'm aware of all my triggers of the things I struggle with and I work at them. And I want to become someone that I adore and that I love and that I, I embrace and that I'm proud of. I want to be proud of what I am. I want to be proud of what I do. When I was in the fraternity, I hated recruitment week because how can I sell someone else on something that I didn't love? I wanted to do something that I was proud of. I wanted to be a part of something that I was proud of. I want to be a part of something that I can, I want to go out and share it with people, right? There's an energy to it. I feel like most of my life I've been doing things that I didn't fully align with me, that I didn't really know, I didn't know how to articulate it, but it wouldn't make me proud. When you understand yourself, when you work on yourself and you go through the journey that is you, the person that is you, we can fight for what we want. And then living in alignment, that's where we can move with pride because we're proud of what we're doing because it's intentional versus doing things for the wrong reasons, being with partners for the wrong reasons, doing sub substances for the wrong reasons, right? We're shutting ourselves off, we're closing ourselves off instead of opening our hearts and changing who we are. So whole journey, junior, senior year, I started reading books first book I read was The Surrender Experiment by Michael A. Singer. I loved it. I loved the idea of just reading a book while everyone else wasn't. And I started to fall in love with reading. And then when I started to fall in love with reading, I started to love, fall in love with learning. Because all the books I read were personal development books, self-help books, a couple of fiction books here and there. But I read it like I Am Number Four. I remember reading that all senior year. All the books. Finished them in three months. I loved it. And I never read when I was younger, and I found the spark of learning, of reading. I was like, wow, this is cool. We interrupt this program with a message. No, I'm just kidding. We, um, uh, I actually have to go right now. I'm about to go have a picnic, get in nature with the fam, and then I'll be back. And uh, I'll finish up the second half of my life, I guess. And there are actually things that I missed that I want to touch back on. So, be back in a jiff. Alright, welcome back. We are back. Just had a very wholesome experience with the fam. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful beautiful day went on the canoe in this little pond the ripples the winds the reflection of the water the sun of the water like it was just stunning so i feel great i feel rejuvenated anytime being in nature so i'm getting towards the end of my college experience but there are a couple of things i just a little moments throughout life that i thought about that i wrote down that i wanted to share and one is my claim to fame guys eighth grade uh, we had this project in science class called a Rube Goldberg project. And if you know, you know. But if not, basically, my dad got really excited about this Rube Goldberg project. So we worked on it together, but it was mostly him. He was really the architect and the engineer behind it, and I was the face. And we went just too above and beyond, and it was spectacular. <laughs> so I, 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 it was crazy because my dad recorded it and we submitted it and then my teacher loved it and wanted to send it send it to the other classes and my dad ended up putting it on youtube so check out his account bob larkin usa and it blew up dude it got tens of thousands of views and then over the next couple of years and i think it's at 350,000 views on youtube right now 
it's kind of plateaued since then, but it was Andrew's 8th grade Rube Goldberg project, and it was quite a journey. And it was kind of my first acting experience. The second time we ran through it, everything worked perfectly, stunningly perfectly, except the very last, the last thing didn't didn't work and it didn't complete and we just laughed it off it was funny 48 tries later later i think it was like the 50th or 49th try we landed it and by that time i'd run the same lines 45 times right and it was late it was past my bedtime i was exhausted but nevertheless it was quite a legendary moment and they had a first real taste of film acting in a way which was which was cool which was very cool and then another really cool moment that happened in eighth grade as well. Eighth grade was a cool year. Basketball team, basketball tryouts. Um, I was one of the guys, like, you know, like starters on the seventh grade team. So I was pretty much a lock to be on the eighth grade team. And I had a really good friend who had never played organized basketball before. He was tall. He was like six foot for eighth grade. He was one of the big guys. And we had a couple big guys you know, on the team and, or trying out that were on the team last year. And I just talked to my buddy, Jason. I was like, dude, let's work, let's do this. Um, like have faith, believe. And somehow I magically orchestrated this way where I was the point guard and he was the big man for me. And whenever I had exercises or we did, you know, drills or scrimmages, and I would always like kind of intentionally like mess up with the other big guys. But every time I was with Jason, we landed and it worked and we connected and it was crazy it was crazy i can't even it's sometimes you try to do things like this and but it just doesn't really work out but it just the universe just aligned and whenever i was with them we were connecting and we were making plays happen and it was it was beautiful basketball and we had the trial it was gnarly where he would everybody after the last day of trials would wait outside the locker room and he would bring you in one at a time and or a couple people at a time I forget and um, so some people came out like crying because they didn't make the team I went in there you know made the team and and then he my coach told me I don't know if this is like messed up to say or like messed up for the coach to say I think my buddy who was like another really good player on the team was like that was kind of why like it was weird that he said that but our coach said that Jason made the team and he pretty much made it because the way he worked with you. Like he liked that relationship, that dynamic. So it was almost like I willed my way, his way into this team, onto this team. So there was like a crazy form of manifestation. And I'll never forget, dude, I'll never forget. I was waiting at the end of the locker and Jason comes out of the door and we're like probably 15, 10 yards, like 20 yards away from each other or 15 yards or whatever. And he smiles and he runs at me and he gives me a massive hug. It was one of the most beautiful moments that I'll never forget. So that was just a really, really incredible moment. Beautiful thing about sports, beautiful thing about, again, connection. And it was a, it was a form of, of service in a way that just, it's lit me up. You know, you, it's, it's one of those things, like I said before, is you serve others and you think you're providing the service and giving but I received so much from that moment, enough to make me be moved today, you know, all these years later. So it was just a really, that was a really cool moment. And then in eighth grade, again, because eighth grade was really my sports realm, I was balling. And I remember, I talk about humility and growing up, 
you know, my dad, he would take me to football games and he was really ingrained in the, in the, in the sports culture because I was into it. And we would watch basketball, like, you know, football games and basketball games. And my dad had, a, had an extreme disliking for individuals who, you know, were pumping their chests, who were, who were arrogant and cocky and confident, but on the more borderline on the side of arrogance and cockiness versus humility and confidence. And my dad just didn't like those people. And being a son of a father, you seek your father's validation and you want to do what your father likes and you don't want to do what he dislikes, right? So I knew he didn't like arrogance. And the way I kind of processed that in my sports world was because arrogance and confidence are kind of, they're different, but they're in the same realm. And I went so far away from arrogance, like I was so terrified of being cocky or arrogant or anything like that, to the point where I didn't show confidence, you know, and I called it humble because humble was what I valued and humble was quote unquote good. And people would compliment me after a basketball game or a football game, say, dude, that was an amazing job, like you had a great game. And I was like, eh, 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 no, you know, and I would brush it off every time, every time. and. Deep down, you know, I know I had a good game, but I wasn't able to receive information. And this is a great lesson that I've learned over the years from listening to people I admire, continuing to explore with my own development, is the gift of receiving and being open to receiving. Because when you receive, sometimes, again, I think I'm arrogant, and if I receive, then I actually do you a disservice. But I do more of a disservice by not receiving the gift that you're giving me, because right when you give someone a gift, you receive back. There's a reciprocity to it. So by me cutting off, by not receiving, I cut off them the gift of me lighting up and saying, thank you, I see you, right? It's like when I was when I was a kid and we would go to friends' houses, you know, on play dates, and the parents would say, hey, Andrew, are you hungry? You want a snack? And I was like, no, 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 I'm okay, because I don't want to burden you. But in some cultures, like, it's it lifts their soul up to actually feed you food. So by accepting and receiving, you're actually giving them more versus I thought in my mind by saying no, I was doing a good thing. But it's all those assumptions, right? So fascinating stuff, fascinating world of exploration. So I learned about receiving and then I heard a whole, it's like a whole story about theater and you, you do like eight shows a week and some shows you might not be on as, as other shows. And what if a family member or a friend or a stranger comes up to you after a show where you were kind of maybe like 80% weren't, you didn't get the emotional parts that you, or get to the emotions that you wanted to get to. And someone comes up to you and it was like, oh my God, that was amazing. You were amazing. I, I just want to say that was amazing. And you're like, oh no, you should have been there like two days ago. It was way better. Right in my mind, or in, in that individual's mind, they think they're humble, and for some reason, receipt like accepting a compliment is wrong. But what a disservice to them! Someone so energetic and excited to to feed you a compliment, and then for you to completely throw it off. Imagine how you'd feel after giving someone a compliment. Like if I gave someone a compliment, they said no. I feel kind of uh, right. So the assumptions that I made. Oh my gosh, incredible. Okay, first off. Side note, today's my birthday. I saw 1111, I saw 111, and it just hit 444. Angel numbers, blue moon last night. We are on fire. We are on fire. All right. 
I still have a lot to get through. If you guys are digging this, I mean, this is my life story pretty much. I'm, again, it's impossible to share a full life story without writing a memoir or really getting into the details, but I'm going to do my best. So that was childhood stuff. And then we get into college. And in college, I discovered Joy Prom, which was a massive, massive awakening for me. When I was in high school, sports was everything, right? But I also found myself in Best Buddies. And I had a friend with special needs in seventh grade. We would play basketball together. His name was Kyle, and he was like my guy. And he continued to be on the basketball like managerial spot on the team. So he would always come to the games and the practices. And and he was like my best. He was like my, my great, great friend. And Best Buddies is a club for individuals with special needs where we do events and we... we we do things outside of school and and every year there's a dance where they bring best buddies clubs from different schools to Conestoga High School our school and we all perform it's there's a theme sometimes it's like rock theme and and each school choreographs a dance and they perform it during the school day and I'm I'm from my heart I think special needs is the is the proper term for this I'm, I'm deeply in love with these individuals but i want to just share my respect so i say it with love if it's not proper i apologize but special kids with special needs and i just had a deep love and a deep connection with all of those individuals there's so much love there's so much light and they're just so alive and i went to college i remember freshman year i was like really alone and my buddy kyle who was my buddy from best buddies he was my guy <laughs> we have a photo of us dancing and it's amazing and he facetimed me and just was like yo larkin what's up like just catching up and then we just had a really nice chat and then you know i'm i'm alone i in my dorm i go to lunch i eat lunch by myself i put it in tupperware and i take it home with me and as i leave and walk through the doors there's a kid with special needs right outside and he comes up to me he's like hey can i give you a hug and like, dude, I started crying. And I was like, yeah. And he gave me a hug. And it was like some magical power, some higher force where Kyle, it was the same day Kyle called me. Where it, was like, it was like Kyle was giving me a hug. And it was just so divine. And I went to, um, we had a communal uh, washer and dryers. And there, my buddy Aaron and... Um, Oh my goodness, Don't you're not forgetting the name. Larry and Aaron, Larry and Aaron, and uh, two individuals with special needs, dope humans. Larry was super outgoing, he was into sports, he loved the sports world, he repped coastal baseball and football and all of it. Aaron was a lot more reserved, but as I continued to talk to them, Aaron opened up a little bit more, and I was in this, this honors fraternity for a wee bit, and they had an event, a philanthropic, philanthropic event called Joy Prom, and not a lot of people in the fraternity went to it or volunteered for it. I was like, dude, it's a prom for kids with special needs. Like, fuck yeah, let's go. And it's actually a funny story. This guy who busted me for alcohol freshman year gave me a ride there. <laughs> um, so funny coming to age moments. But um, I dressed to the nines. I remember walking out and this guy came up to me like, yo, looking clean, bro. I'm like, thank you, bro. And, you know, we get there. I'm sober. as a whistle. I don't know if that's a saying. I just made it one. And we just volunteered where we catered food and and we get there and there's music playing, there's a red carpet and you got these 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 special needs individuals from I'm talking like 
six years old to 85, 90 years old. And they're dressed to the nines, walking this red carpet, and we're just cheering and hyping them up and I'm like screaming. And there's so much joy and fun and love. And we have dinner and I'm, and again, I'm like sober, which is, this is, I think I was a sophomore at the time. I was just, I, yes, I was a sophomore at the time. And this is when I was drinking a lot too, where I'm like, I need to drink to be alive. I need to drink to be Andrew, the Andrew that I know I can be. And dude, I was so alive and I was so confident and I just talked to everyone. I went to different tables and I sat down and everyone was so sweet and so beautiful. And, and I saw Larry and Aaron there. So I, I didn't know anyone going into this event. And the people that I went there with, like I wasn't really close with them. And they were kind of off doing their own thing. And I was like, dude, I'm here, like, let's go. So I started volunteering. I started like walking around and asking if there was anything more I could do. And then they're like, dude, just have fun. So I was with Larry and Aaron and we just danced our asses off and they had a DJ. It was a full on prom. It was better than my prom. And I fell in love. And it was one of the best nights of my life, dude. And I ended up bringing another friend back a couple years later. Um, again, amazing, amazing, amazing events. So much love, so much light. And then they also, there was a joy, or there was a night, a night to shine where my boy James, John and James, who are twins, or me, I went with my buddy, my homie, and I lost my voice this night. We're at red carpet, same thing, we're cheering. There are, I have photos I can show you if you're interested, where we were just screaming our heads off, and everyone was freaking stunning. And it, would, it was cool because some of the football and basketball players, guys and girls, and volleyball players were there for, I guess, for their, their teams, and they were all paired with a buddy. And me and my, my homie were paired with these twins, and these twins had girlfriends. So we were with like their girlfriend's buddies as well, and we were a squad. And they had a photo booth, they had uh, they had different things, like we could have gone on excursions to a, expand, but they were like, no, we want to dance. And we fucking danced our asses off, and the music was banging, and we were just so alive. And it was the most fun, dude. It was the most fun. Again, sober, so much fun, and so much love. And we took a photo and my buddy sent me a message a couple days ago or the next day saying that was like one of the best nights of his life. And then a woman from the church, cause it was, it's from the night to shine is like through Tim Tebow's organization and it was through the church. And a woman who worked there reached out or found my buddy Cage's name and Instagram and sent him a message. And he forwarded it to me basically saying her and or she was talking to her mom and or she overheard her mom talking that like she couldn't they couldn't stop talking about me and my buddy my buddy cage and just how much of a light we were and the energy we brought because some of the football guys like they're just kind of there on the side we were i was sweating my ass off it was alive it was and then i i continued to stay in touch with james and john you know like they would facetime me every once in a while and tell me about their girlfriends and stuff and and like i'm i've been at home living at home for like three years and my girl Blythe calls me, who has special needs from, you know, Conestoga. Uh, she honestly was like my number one friend, essentially, because she called me so consistently. And I just got saw Barbie with my other friend Jordan. Like it's just, I swear, I was I had special needs in a past life. I swear. So that night informed so much love in me. And when I think about the best moments of my life, or the best, the time I felt the most love, or I felt most like myself. It was doing that. So all these little events where, again, that was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I was just like, all right, this happened. And then you find out you're in love with it. It's the most exciting thing ever because you weren't expecting it. And you went into an event without expectations, obligations, without assumptions, 
and it just exceeds so much of it because you're there and you're present and you allow it to do its thing and that's that's the beauty in life that's the grace that's the goods and i want all of it so i found that out about myself and i'm so grateful for that so anytime i can find events like that i'm in and i also did a wheel to surf event with um a lot of surf culture is interesting because sometimes you get the skater guys who are kind of on the more stoner side. Uh, some guys are in it for the love and the spirituality. Um, you find a good tribe of surfers where it's about the ocean, it's about people, it's about coming together, it's about healing and medicine. There was this group of people called the Adaptive Surf Club where they ran this wheel to surf event, which I found out through the surf club. And again, not a lot of surf guys in the surf club went to it, but I went to it and I went with a couple other friends. This girl I met for my marine science class. And dude, it was, again, so much love. And we just, we saw there were people with special needs, people with physical disabilities, and we got them on surfboards. And they had guys who were like professional surfers come, and we just got them on waves. And I just, you know, you help guide them to make sure they didn't tip over, or they didn't have any gnarly wipeouts, or you were always there for them. But it was just, it was so fun. And when you really make an effort to get people to feel good and in their bodies, it's, it's so amazing, it's so amazing. So. That was another really amazing event that I discovered about myself. And then I'm gonna try to push forward. Sophomore, sophomore year again, dude. Sophomore year, there was a big moment that happened in my life where I had these really good uh, girlfriends, friends who were girls. They're like my best friends. And I had met one of their family who lives in Maryland. They have a beach house in St. Michael's in Maryland. And they have such an amazing family. And they have, she's got like five brothers and an amazing mom and stepdad and they dance they drink they party it's just a lot of fun and a lot of love and first time i went there i'm still like the new guy i'm still trying to like feel like i fit in and be myself and then the second time i went there it was hurricane season so we got evacuated and we went there and i remember because it was my sister's birthday on september 9th i left my phone at the house and we went out on the boat some of us having a couple of drinks we had maybe probably too many too many people on the boat and uh my buddy mace my buddy mace mace is uh my my friend's stepfather such a amazing human being such a cool guy lives and grew up on the on the lake grew up riding boats like this is nothing for him and ended up getting distracted we ended up having a great time listening to music i'm like raising my glass you know we're having a good time next thing i know i was in the back of the boat and then i got flown into the front of the boat it happens so fast and you just blink and there's like this haze and I looked around and we hit a pylon like straight on two of my friends went in the water mace who is the driver hit his head against the window um, my one friend was like screaming crying and like throwing up uh, my one friend was again crying and and my f my friend's mom she was she's a British woman she's so amazing and so beautiful and very frail and tiny and petite and i it turns out i must have you know like from the back of the boat to the front there's a there's like an alleyway where it narrows we both were in the back and then went to the front so i must have collided with her in to get to the front and she was repeating the same th i just remember she was repeating the same thing over and over and over again and i held her hands to try to like feel if she would squeeze back and I would squeeze her hand and see if she would squeeze back and um, she wasn't and she was saying the same thing over and over again so I'm like holding my my like, best friend's mom's hand in my hand and I'm like I don't know if she's gonna live you know 
and luckily the boat wasn't destroyed enough where the engine still worked and one of the steps one of the sons uh, my friend's stepbrothers or brother was able to drive the boat back super slow super steady there was music playing in the background but you're in such a daze it's like watching a war movie where there's blood and there's people are crying and there's music playing but you don't really hear it and it's it was just it was a, it was a it was a crazy thing and we i was holding my friend's hand for it was probably like a 10 minute drive back to the dock and we called or 15 minutes and we called they called 911 so we got to the dock and the ambulance was already there and again i was holding my best friend's mom's hand in my hands not sure if she was going to live and she was the worst of us she had to get flown to baltimore um and again we like didn't know and all of us ended up you know they were asking us questions i got two abrasions kind of on my or I don't know if they're abrasions or lacerations on my shoulders. I have a pretty awesome scar from it that I actually love. It's great memories. And I also like banged my quadriceps. So I had this like dead leg trying to walk. And um, it was pretty hard to sleep because the scrapes were pretty gnarly. But we got rushed. We were in the ambulance walking. And then we got to the hospital. We were all kind of getting our own thing done. You don't, And we don't really know how bad everyone is and like what really happened. People got flown in the water were actually chilling because they didn't hit anything. But um, yeah, so we all went through this traumatic experience you know this accident i'd never been in an accident before and i'm with a family who's i'm so pretty new with them right and it's a small town st michael's so every people know you know allison and mace and after the events it was in like the local newspaper people started sending us food you know and and, and allison like wasn't there because she was in the hospital for a couple of days and we just you know kicked it around there and there was again there was just like so much love in the community and then love that we had for each other or like my friends like someone needed medication and like didn't matter how much it cost like i'm gonna go to the store and get it for you and bring it back um and it was just it was really it's one of those things i wouldn't wish upon anyone but i was always curious as to how i would respond and react in those moments and i was really proud of myself for how i handled it and it was a really beautiful experience, you know? Being calm within the storm, being in an environment where you lose, almost almost lose everything, and then you realize how much love there is for each other when life could go like that, and how you know scary things are, and how you could lose everything like that. And we ended up driving down to South Carolina because we were supposed to get to class, being like, fuck this, this, like this we're not doing this. We got to campus, and then we're like, we're going back. So I emailed all my professors, and we went back to the house and uh, kicked it for a few more days. And Mace, I mean, the stepdad, right? Like, he was the driver, and he felt so much responsibility for what happened to all of us. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm good, dude. Like, it's totally fine. But he was, after we left, you know, we were, we he gave me a huge hug, and was crying, and was just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And there was just something so raw about that moment, you know, where. I just feel so much love, dude, you know? And I get it, and I, and I have so much empathy and compassion for it. And, I mean, he was just... And then after, you know, he wished me happy birthday on my birthday the next year, and just... I actually haven't talked to him in a while, but it was just... It was such a beautiful a beautiful moment for me. And a, and a, and a, a mile marker for me, I mean. And I got a scar to prove, and I love the scar. I fucking love the scar. And it's just really cool how disaster quote-unquote disaster can turn into a really beautiful thing 
and how strong family and community is. So that was a really cool thing for me to experience. And then also sophomore year, there was a really big moment. I don't want to dive too deep into this because I still want to. I want to keep this at like two hours. Where I remember, I was in my dorm. It was around Easter, and I remember watching Me Before You, which I haven't seen this movie like since then. I loved. It was such a good movie. But there was a, a moment where Sam Claflin, his character, um, goes through this like physical disability. He has a really gnarly accident, bad injury, and he's he can't do much. So he needs a woman, Amelia Clark, to like help him do everything. And there's this one moment where they show the cuts on his the cuts on his um his wrists. And I looked at that, and I remember thinking in that moment, I'm trying to visualize. I can't imagine someone going through so much pain where doing something like that would feel good, or feeling the the pull or the tie just pulling you into doing something like that. I couldn't understand it. And I shit you not, guys, like a day or two later, I get a call from, I think it was my mom, and she told me that my little sister tried to take her life. And I'm pretty sure I've gotten, I have gotten permission from her. I asked permission a while ago, so I should probably ask her again to share this story because it is her story. But it's also as, you know, her close brother, it's so much a part of my life and shaped who I am. And this is my sophomore year in uh, in college. And I remember just going through the process of what it would have been like to lose her. And I remember just, I thought about death a lot. I was, sometimes I'll go to basketball games in high school and I would just zone out and daydream and, and imagine like a basketball game happening and then there was like a shooting and like I lost my mom and my dad. Like like weird shit, like I don't, I don't really know why my mind goes there. But I had processed what it was like to lose family members. And I processed it within those next 24 hours and felt into it. And it was hard, dude. And then I was like, all right, Andrew, what can we do? Like, well, like what practical, productive thing can we do to try to make this better? Like, well, I'm, I'm in South Carolina. I'm 10 hours away, you know, by car. I, I, what can I do? She must feel so alone, so lost. And again, this was Easter time. So a few months later, I get back for for summertime and I'm like yo we're gonna do a summer to-do list and we made this badass to-do list and I thought of all these things to make us just things that you do where you're just like a child like dancing and singing in the rain uh, having a staring competition with with a zoo animal you know saving a life which we ended up like saving like a, an ant or, a, <laughs> or like a frog or something like that um, all these things make a new friend you know all these these things that kind of give life to you I feel like and she got all art, artsy on it and she made this whole made the list official and we did that whole thing that summer it was an amazing summer and then I go back to school and that was the summer where I went to Costa Rica and Panama I was like alive I was finding myself I was exploring things and um, I was going on this new path in my life and then I I get back for winter break that winter and it was like an 11 hour drive coming back. I was so tired. And I sit down and my mom looks at me and um, she gave me one of those looks that, you know, it's like, what's wrong? You know, there's a, there's an energy to it. You just know. And you knew it wasn't good. And you knew it was about Becky. And um, she said, we almost lost her again, but like for real this time. And she told me what happened. Becky ended up going into inpatient programs and um, I remember surprising her at her inpatient, you know, surprise, like your brother's home. And it didn't hurt as much the second time because I processed it so much the first time. But um, those following, you know, that time there was interesting because we had to hide all the knives in the house. And 
this is uh, something, again, I don't wish upon anyone, but there were moments where sometimes, you know, you would I would walk up to my sister's room, walk up to her door, and I would stand in front of it, and I'm, like, ready to knock. But for, like, a half a second, there's this thought that goes through me where I'm, like, I don't... Like, I don't know if, like, if I knock, like, I don't know if my sister's gonna be on the other side of this. And, like, what a terrifying thought, right? So I kind of lived in this, and we all lived this. Like, my mom, my dad, it was, it was, it was hard for all of us. It was hard for my sister, dude, you know? Going through that and being alone and isolated and going through school and trying to be enough, you know? Being a woman in today's world, trying to fit in and these crazy expectations, right? And, um, so I went through a lot of that and, like, there was... There was a lot of so death was very present around that time, and around the same time, I had a best friend, my best friend Brigham, who, if you guys remember from the story, eighth grade, we sat alone um, during lunch because we were football buddies. We kicked it in elementary school, did dumb shit together, you know, like this was my guy. And then in high school, we kind of separated a bit, and we had different friend groups. Um, and once we graduated, I came back from school. I was always like, hit him up, like, yo, let's grab lunch. And there was this one time where our friend groups it was like i think it was sophomore year or sophomore year like winter break where somehow we were invited to the same party and i was stoked i was so excited and i was hitting him up i was like dude let's go and um i get to the party and he's not there and i text him and text him and text him and he, and he never responded and i kind of was just like all right whatever and i find out like a year later the next winter when we go to get brunch that he said uh he od'd he overdosed that day his little sister margo who was like a little sister to me at the time you know um found him in his room and you know he was he was it was just a brother you know and he was for his whole life was planning to go to the military and just it was just like not him you know and I do like my best friend just telling me this in front of me and he's like doing it so casually like it's no big deal and then we went to uh this sky zone spot where we were trampoline parking and while we were and then we went to you know get a couple of beers get some coronas because like dude we have never drank in together let's do this so we got some coronas we're both 21 go home get ready to drink on the drive over to the house he takes his long sleeve shirt and rolls up his his sleeves and like he's, I don't know if it was legally not allowed to wear short sleeve shirts because his arms were cut all the way to the elbow, from the wrist to the elbow. And like you think, like I thought my little sisters was bad. Like this was, this was nuts. Like it's different for men for some for some reason, man. And I was just like, dude. So then we drink the Coronas, and then he's like, yo, let's go to the pub. So we go to the pub. Never been in the pub together. And we just sit down. We get a pitcher, and he's like. Dude, let's get another pitch. I'm like, all right, whatever. And we were getting pretty drunk. My sister picked us up. We were pretty hammered. Hammered, hammered. And then we got back to the house, and we were just, like, crashed. Actually, before we went to the bar, he was on the phone with his mom. And, like, like I grew up with him. Like, I went to his house all the time, hung out with his mom. Like, he was on the phone screaming at his mom about getting disowned. And, like, saying, like, not getting disowned, but he was like, take away my phone. I don't care anymore like so much darkness in that moment and it was it was really scary to to witness and then went to the bar came home fell asleep woke up the next morning and then i forget how i got home i don't know if he drove and then he drove the next morning or i dropped him off but then i ended up going up 
into the bathroom and my mom got me these like new razor blades and there was this um there was a uh, a corona beer beer cap that was t bent in so there was a sharp point and then he ripped open some of the blades and um and took one of the individuals out and they were in the trash can so like i see my brother like from childhood with the struggle and the hurt that he's gone through and then that night i was there dude like i was there he did it at our house where he hurt himself you know and i'm just like i had no idea i was not aware of it at all it changes you dude it changes your perspective it changes how you see people and perceive people and judge people and then around that same time i had a beautiful friend male friend guy great athlete good looking dude sweet human beautiful soul parents love him he was talking about how he harms himself you know and i have another female friend who is the most beautiful girl you've ever seen starseed and she just smokes a lot of weed to drown out all the noise and we talk about the darkness and she's a poet and she talks about all the hardships that she goes through and over this period of time in my life i share all of this not to bring it down but i share this because it informed me so much there's something about when you have a someone that you love who is borderline suicidal it's very easy for them to do something that upsets you or triggers you or wrongs you and it's very easy to just bounce right back and there's fire and fire and you fight it's so normal i see it all the time people fight with each other all the time but there's something different when someone's brain structure and their and the chemicals in their brain and and the state that they're at mentally is so fragile where they'll explode and if i explode that could be the last fucking thing i ever say to her because she could poof be gone so i have to catch my tongue a lot and i i found myself doing that where there are things that upset me but what if i what if i indulge my emotions and get angry I will resent that the rest of my life. So now I'm just very mindful with the way I communicate with others in that way. And it's informed me so much. And I have beautiful friends struggling so much and I have no idea. So now I see other people that I actually don't know. And how can I judge them? And then we have celebrities, beautiful people who have money, who have fame, who have looks. They have all these things that we think is glamorous and amazing and beautiful. And they talk about their struggles. And I just throughout this time, I grew so much empathy and compassion where like growing up, I was quick to judge. I was really quick to judge. And now it's almost all of those experiences just sucked it right out of me. And then I had this experience at Starbucks that changed my life. There was this gentleman, I was working at the counter and um, there was a big line wrapping around to the door and there was this gentleman comes in everything that hollywood tells you that film tells you is a bad guy that looks like a bad guy this guy pictured like that was him kind of he looked rough around the edges maybe like homeless like these all these assumptions all these fucking stories that we that we put on people before we actually know them and i see him and my body activates this defense mechanism to say this might be a threat ridiculous right but it's how it works and my body tenses and i'm taking these orders bang take an order bang take an order bang it's getting closer and closer and closer and my body's getting tighter and tighter and tighter until the point 
where he gets up to me, and I'm like, all right, shit, he's next. Let's go. Let's go. And I kid you not, man, I have never received so much love from a human. He was like, I forget the words that he said, but he was like, what's going on, man? It's, a, it's just this beautiful day. I'm like, I'm blessed to be here. Like, how are you, dude? Like, stay blessed. Like, I am talking radiating so much love. That dude gave me such a gift that day because I was so quick to judge. And it was like, it wasn't my conscious body. It was like my, my subconscious, my literal body was judging. And I almost couldn't help myself because it was so conditioned in me. But now after all these experiences and being, every time I make an assumption about someone, once I get to talk to them and get to know them, like 99% of the time, I'm always wrong. And I just don't make assumptions anymore. And then I read the four agreements and he, one of the agreements is don't make assumptions. It's just been on the forefront of my mind. So I've had all these experiences where judging just doesn't serve anymore. And it was really something. So big, that was a big time in my life, sophomore year, where I, I, I grew a lot and I went through a lot. But I, I personally, I didn't go through a ton and when I do go through my own thing, I, 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 I work out. I have, I have these escapes that I do, but I can still struggle. It wasn't until later when I started getting into yoga, meditation, breath work, all these practices, getting in nature, forest bathing, cold water exposure, that I started having you know, real practical tools to help my uh, mental health and physical health. But it started off with people I love and people in my life, and I started to reflect, and it was really powerful. So that was really my university college experience. I mean, there's a lot more to it. And then senior year, I went to a club and I did, finally, someone came up to me and was like, yo, you're the Starbucks guy. <laughs> Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. And I had a buddy come up to me and said, and he shared me this, uh, this girl's Snapchat story and saying like a PSA, the hot Starbucks guy's back. I don't know where I went. I think it was just spring break, but, um, I was apparently the hot Starbucks guy, so it was pretty cool to be that, be that cat. Starbucks was amazing. I'm so grateful for it, and I love. And it was one of those things too, where I come from high school, where I'm in such a clique. They're my brothers. I love them. I still love them to this day. But we were like the same guys, at that time, and I never hung out with anyone outside of that group, right? And that was a me thing. Like I, I totally could have, but I just didn't. And I work at Starbucks, and I'm working with people who are. Uh, you know, individuals who are bisexual, who are gay, who are, you know, black, white, male, female, non-binary people who are old, young, right? Like, I, w I was around a spectrum of individuals, and I loved it. I loved it so much. And it was just, it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't have uh, picked a better gig. I loved that so much. So then once senior year came around, pandemic happened. Oh, before that, oh God, this is going to be long, guys. Senior year, I found out about Kangen Water. I was uh, at this state in my life where I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I was thinking about going in the Peace Corps, actually. And then I found out about Kangen Water. I found out about the, the healing uh, medicinal antibiotics uh, properties of this medical-grade water ionizer from you know Okinawa, Japan, like Japan. And then I found out that you can start a business and become an entrepreneur, and it was just really attractive. And I, I got a I got a credit card and I dug deep into research. And this was the first time I'd ever actually studied science to study science. So I learned about free radicals, I learned about antioxidants, I learned about the chemistry of the water, you know, and what it's doing to the body and learning about, really about electrolytes and, and electrolysis and, and all of these medical terms where I, I really just dug deep and I really loved that. And 
And it's one thing to read the books and understand what it's doing to the body. It's another thing to experience it in the body. And when I drank this water, right, electrically reduced water, incredible stuff, super high antioxidant properties. I still drink it to this day. It's my, I, I, if I go to a restaurant and drink water, it's actually gnarly how gross it is. It makes a huge difference. And I'm a huge proponent of it. So I started drinking this water and I started drinking lots of it. They have 8.5 pH, 9.0 pH, and 9.5 pH. And the higher the pH, the way the electrolysis works, there's more antioxidants in it. I had eczema my entire life. My entire life, guys, on my elbows, like inside of my elbows and on my neck. A couple weeks after I started drinking this water, my eczema exploded. I have photos, I have a testimony where I did a video, and everything was just coming out of me. And it was like six months. It was so gnarly and it was painful, honestly. But it was so necessary because it, like the, the, the everything that, like our bodies, like if we have acne, if we have things happening on our skin, it's produced, it's from the body. That is the root of it. It's happening internally. We think it's externally. We put on lotions, we put on creams, steroids, all this shit. But it's what's happening in the body. It's the food we're putting in, it's the water we're putting in our body, the thoughts, all the shit, guys, right? So I didn't realize this, but like the liver is a big producer of all this stuff. And I've been destroying my liver with alcohol, destroying it with junk food. Guys, I used to eat so much candy when I was younger. I used to eat, we used to make brownies, Rice Krispie treats. I went through a phase of baking. I went through a phase of making milkshakes every single night with heavy milk, like healthy cream. Like I was a pig, right? My childhood, right? Everyone was like, be a kid, be a kid. But I was like super unhealthy. And I was unaware that the food I was putting into my body had anything to do with my health. I had strep throat normally on the, like, seasonally. Uh, flu season hits you every time because it just does. You know, I I had terrible mucus, like, all these things. And then I started drinking this water, and I started getting this crazy reaction. My body was detoxing in this radical way. And after six to eight months, it, like, totally cleared up. It was the water, but it was also, I was a part of this community, this online community where I was around mindfulness and they talked about Abraham Hicks, they talked about you know, mindfulness and entrepreneurship and a lot of them were plant-based and vegan. That's when I actually went on my vegan journey was that next year because again, when, it, was, it wasn't even New Year's, it was the day before New Year's. I like blacked out on jungle juice at a party with friends and I didn't even go out to New Year's because I was so hungover, it was terrible. And I was like, the next day I'm radically changing my life and I went vegetarian and then I went vegan a few months later. But I was in this community where it was accepted and, and I was, first time in my life, I was starting to find myself and I was starting to find my people. We talked the same language, we were into the same thing, we were into the same podcast. They explored my, they opened my eyes on health and medicine and people and and they were surfing, they were in nature, they were free and, and the way they expressed themselves and danced, like it was just so beautiful. And I would pay, and I, I spent a lot of money for you know the products and I still use the products to this day, I mean, the Inespa shower filter, which is like ionizes these, what is ionized like hot spring minerals from Okinawa. It's it's amazing every time I take a shower. It's because most of the shower we get is like chlorinated and dries our skin out. It's gnarly, but um, the shower is amazing. And then this Kangen water I've had for got a 2019, so it's been four years now. Changed my life, dude. Changed my life. But it's not even that. It's the people that I connected with. And then I also started learning about entrepreneurship, and I started reading books on sales. I started, you know, learning about the numbers game and and started trying to sell to sell and it was I went through that journey where I really tried to make a go of it I tried to promote it and I just didn't go deeply all in and there was just a lot of resistance because of the pricing 
people's fear of it being a pyramid scheme and you know that it is multi-level marketing but multi-level marketing has a really negative connotation and um, so I don't really sell it as much today I'm still a distributor so if you're interested in Congo water hit me up and I'll we can set up the paperwork and get it done but I really don't promote it as much as I used to and I really just drink it for the benefits and again like when I travel I bring it with me or I take a bunch of jugs and fill it up <laughs> But um, yeah, so that was a huge moment in my life because one, I found community and I found people that I really aligned with. And then two, I was introduced to health. That was really the first time physically I was like, what the, f I had a question, what the fuck have I been putting in my body for so long, right? And I started being mindful about the food. I started reading labels. I started questioning things. When you go vegetarian and vegan, you start actually having to read labels and you start saying, where's my food coming from? Because you follow the money trail with Big Farm and all this stuff, I started going deep into the rabbit holes and I started waking up. I started bringing my mindfulness out. So that was the end of 2019. That was a huge moment in my life. And then 2020 happens, you know, pandemic, bang, cut my semester in half. I, uh, I had a theater class where we were working on Shakespeare and we were doing stuff in class and it was great. And then we ended up doing it online, banged out my Shakespeare monologue, did Lysander from A Midsummer Night's Dream. And afterwards, I just got such great recognition from my peers. They were like, because I did an accent, and one of them was like, yo, Kit Harrington, and they were just like really praising me really well. And then my professor on the last day, she um, she said, Andrew, like, don't give up on this. That's what she said to me. And I had no intention of going into acting, really, after school. But she said, Andrew, don't give up on this. And that was the, I genuinely don't know what grade I got in that class, and I didn't care. I mean, it was definitely an A, it was definitely an A, but like, I didn't care, and it was amazing. Like, what a great gift. I'm learning because I want to learn, because I want to get better. I started to fall in love with learning. And it wasn't until I graduated college that I started falling in love with learning. I started reading books. And I, um, it was just, it was incredible. Uh, what else am I missing, guys? I mean, we're at, almost at the end of the journey, right? Uh, 20, when I did yoga, I had this incredible manifestation where there was, I had this one instructor, her name was Gloria. I loved her. This is where relationships kind of come in, into play and how you have to make the effort to build a relationship. Her name was Gloria. She was sweet, amazing. I loved her flow. And afterwards, we, um, I would go up and just talk to her about little things, try to learn, try to pick her brain. And then we formed a relationship. And I really like, I just, I love going to her class, Sunrise Yoga, a couple of times a week. And then next semester, Gloria wasn't doing Sunrise. There was this person, Alex. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a guy or a girl or who this is, but I'll give it a shot. And I go in there, it's this tall, lanky dude with long hair and kind of super chilled out vibes. And I just really liked his flow too. And he had this double tribal flute where after our yoga, we would do a shavasana where we just sit in a you know, corpse pose or just chill. And it was just so relaxing. And he, I think about this, I'm like, he was probably one of like the one mentors in my life where I started talking to him and and just really building that relationship. And then I was like, I remember Gloria talked about, you know, Shine Cafe, which her mom owns and runs. And I was asking him for like, she's hiring or anything like that. And then it ended up fizzling out. And then Alex brought up Shine Cafe. I'm like, yo, do you know, do you know Gloria? And she was like, wait, my wife? And I was like, dude, what? Gloria and Alex are married, you come to find out. Two of like my favorite people. And then I just continued to do yoga with Alex and we became like homies. Like he called me while I was like in class saying like, yo, do you want to go for a run? 
<laughs> I was like, I can't right now, but like, dude, I'd love to. Um, and then we went on like a sunrise or on a moon, a moon night, like kayak trick. Kayak. We were just kayaking like in this through this pond river on the moonlight. I'm like, this is amazing. This is this, these are my people. And it was cool too because I was actually introduced to some of my best friends to this day from those yoga classes uh, during sunrise. Ali Mitchell and Cage Mitchell. And we became really close and really good friends. I'm so blessed for that relationship. And it starts in yoga. And I remember Cage was younger than me. Again, guys going into yoga is a very interesting thing because there's yoga can have these connotations of being feminine and weird postures and what are people going to think of me. That's how I felt when I started going into it. And then we just kind of like bonded it and it just became cool. And me and Alex, or me and Cage stuck with it. And there was this other guy. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't Demetrius. I forget his name. Darius. Oh, I forget. But um, it was like the three of us would always go to Alex's external like things. Like he had this separate event for like 30 minutes to an hour on like a Wednesday night where they would do breath work or certain things where we would do walking meditations. And we just made the effort. And then Alex said they were doing a, f a um, it was a steam room. What is that called? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. A sweat lodge, a sweat lodge. And I went to that and met kind of some of his friends and people. And I just started falling in love with his culture. And, and he really, again, one of my first real mentors were introducing me to this world. He introduced me into cold plunges where he, uh, it was like November and he was like, yo, you wanna go to the pond and go for a swim? I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, sure. <laughs> and we dive right in and it's so cold and it was just so amazing. And just felt so alive and started doing it more and more and more. My body started getting comfortable in the discomfort and I just, it was amazing, dude. So I became really good friends with them. Pandemic happens. South Carolina was kind of chill with it. I was still, I stayed out in South Carolina until my lease was up in August. Uh, me and my buddy Drew were just kicking it. We were literally just having a great time playing tennis, running, going to the beach to surf and just chilling, playing games. Like it was just, it was awesome. It was awesome. And... And then my lease was up, and I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do, because I was working... Oh, turns out I ended up working at Shine Cafe, which was Gloria's mom's restaurant, little cafe in Conway, South Carolina. So I started... I went there for the first day, and I started talking to Leslie, and we started talking about conspiracies. We started talking about health and wellness, and, and she gardens, and she teaches you know, gardening, and she's awesome, awesome. And she's like my second mom, and I'm like, this is amazing. And I started working there, and it was like family, small town, Everyone kind of knows everyone. We give each other hugs when we walk through the door. It was just community. And my lease was up in August, and I was like, guys, I hate to say this, but like my lease is up soon. I might have to go back home because I don't have any plans. And they were like, oh, no, come, come live with me. So she had this bungalow. She had this bungalow next to her house in Conway, which was like I could skateboard, I could longboard to the restaurant, to the cafe. So once my lease was up, I moved into this bungalow. Not too big, not too small, perfect size. I fit right in. Gloria and Alex lived in the house like next door so I could walk to them. I was like in the middle between Leslie and Alex and Gloria. They have dogs, um, they have a garden, they have access to this beautiful pond. It was a sanctuary. I was there for four months and I was working at the cafe, I was reading, I was getting outside in nature. I was connecting with you know the small town community and then I would walk around Conway small town small town I would go into 
restaurants. And I remember being at Starbucks, there's one thing when you're being of service, but it's another thing when you come back again and again and again. I remember how that felt when people came back for not just the drink, but for me, for that interaction. And I can give that to others. So there was this one place called Good Day Sunshine. Emily was the owner, and I went in there, and I, I supported her. I supported small businesses, right, because I love small businesses, and it's fueled with love. And it's not just the products, it's the relationship. And then this guy, Jeff, works at this um, small little boutique where he sells wine and, you know, knickknacks, and ended up just becoming a great friend. And every time I go back there with my little sister, Becky, he... Um, he gives us free bottles of wine and, and we just talk and it's just, it's wholesome. And living in a small town, I remember when I was younger, for some reason, I had no capacity to understand why I thought this, but I was like, I want to live on the beach in a small town where everyone knows everyone, you know, where I can just walk and like go into the bagel shop and be like, yo, what's going on, what's going on, Jerry? You know, or like go to the surf shop or go, you know, these different places, but be by the water. And I had almost kind of created that reality for me at that time where I was in this bungalow, which was like the perfect if I could take that bungalow and put it on the beach, perfect, perfection. It was amazing. Small town, everyone knows everyone. There's something so divinely beautiful, I'm telling you guys about a small town, when you make the efforts to connect with people. And then unfortunately, it was about a 40 minute drive to the beach, but um, it was pretty close. So I, I was kicking it there. And then I ended up taking a solo backpacking trip to California, where friends, we were planning a trip to Reno and then hanging out there. And then it started falling through, but I'm like, dude, I want to do this. So I ended up one way, two way ticket. I flew out to Reno. I had no plans. I had one f connection of a guy I had met through the Congan Water community in uh, LA, but I didn't realize LA was like 10, 11 hours away from a drive from Reno. And this was the power of manifestation, dude, where I felt like for the first time I manifested working at that cafe by actively connecting and making friends with Alex and Gloria and then having that opportunity it was and I'm, I go back there every time and they they're family they're family and I and it's it was such an incredible thing and so I fly out to I have a whole podcast episode where I talk about my trip to California but I fly out to California to Reno I have 14 days I have no idea what I'm going to do I don't know how I'm going to get around I don't have a car I have again that one contact in LA which is so far away I'm like fuck let's go reckless absolutely reckless let alone it was october november peak pandemic 2020 and that trip changed my life dude i landed and i started going on couch surfing and i got rejected not rejected but i, I was struggling to find people to connect with because of the pandemic and people were like want to make sure you're, i don't think vaccinations were a thing but when i didn't want people in their houses which was you know respectable and uh, i land and i'm like I don't know what to do <laughs> and I uh, went to like the bar there spent like nine dollars on a corona and uh, ten minutes later I get a message from his kid Omar and he's like yo did you land like are you, are, you, are you did you land I'm like yeah he's like yo you still like need a ride do you need a place to stay I'm like yeah and he's like uh, yo do you want to go to um, Lake Tahoe and I'm like yes <laughs> so this kid Omar picks me up and he drives me to Lake Tahoe and it was nighttime, the air was crisp, it was still and silent, and it was amazing. And then I crashed at his place that night, and he works as like an engineer, and next day was a Friday, and he said Friday, like that Friday was like National Nevada Day, or Nevada Day, and he was like, I don't have work. I'm like, awesome. So he was like, yo, do you wanna go hiking? I'm like, yes. 
<laughs> and he had a, said he always wanted an excuse to go hiking because he's just been wanting to do it but never did. So this was a great excuse. So all day we just he took me to all these really amazing hikes in uh, Nevada and California, and it was funny because I was on the plane ride from like Salt Lake City to Reno. I was talking to this this girl and she was um, she travels all the time, and she was telling me all these really cool. I was asking around like tell me all these really cool places like Eugene and and these different hikes and stuff to make sure you get to and I wrote some of them down and it turns out I hit like three of them it was crazy so just crazy manifestations dude and she recommended this one hostel and I was like all right cool so I I um I told my buddy I was like yo um could you drop me off at this hostel like once we're done he's like yeah and I I dapped him up I like sent so much love to Omar he was such a cool guy and he drops me off. I go in to check in at the hostel, and dude checks me in. His name is Andrew. I'm like, cool. And he's from Greens Greensville, South Carolina. I'm like, cool. That's pretty pretty cool. And um, I get my room. I get my bunk, and then I see a bunch of people out by the fire, and I just like buy a beer, and I just join them by the fire, and I just introduce myself, and I start talking around, and um, and it turns out there are these two homies who are from Maryland, D.C and i found out that they were doing a cross-country road trip <laughs> and they were stopping by because their sister was actually working at a, like working at the hostel and then they were gonna drive to oh actually before my plan was to get to la i'm like i don't know how i'm gonna get to la but i'm gonna say i'm gonna give myself two days or two three days i forget what it was two days and then i'm gonna go to la no idea how i was gonna do it like i genuinely had no idea and then I'm like sitting and these guys are saying like, yeah, we're, we're going to actually pick up our buddy at L.A. and then work our way back and stop at a bunch of national parks and stuff. And I'm like, in that moment, I'm like, wait, you're going to L.A.? I was like, is this, I was like, universe, is this how they're going to, is this how I'm going to get there? So basically over the next one to two days, I just talked to these guys. I didn't push that I wanted a ride. I just kind of talked and we just became friends. And then it was Halloween, so we uh, got some costumes and we went out to this this bar and just danced and and we were all kind of drinking and and at night and it was my last night there and i'm like this one guy asked me like yo andrew like what are you doing next i'm like i was actually trying to go to calif to la and he was like how are you getting there i'm like and then that's when i was like yo actually could you give me a ride <laughs> and um it worked out perfectly dude and he was like yo let's talk about this and they had an extra seat they had an extra sleeping bag because they were picking up their friends so they had like a camping space for them so Basically the next morning, I uh, I hitched a ride with them, and I, it was nice because I, I pitched in on on gas too. So we drove, we stopped, we went halfway, we um we stopped at Yosemite. Yeah, we stopped at Yosemite. It was a little dry. It's usually more beautiful when it's when it's when there's water, but it was still really cool. And then we stopped at this really sketchy fucking uh, campground where we were like on the edge of a cliff through like really rocky terrain like if our tire broke or like I, like we could have died like like easily it was crazy and like someone came in late night and like the next morning they said that they got like hit by a bear like it was crazy <laughs> and um and we we camped out we played cards and we just chatted and then the next morning we you know picked everything up and we we drove through the sequoias and just awesome dude and then they dropped me off at my buddy pedro's in la in north la and it was just amazing i was like yo thank you guys and then my buddy pedro you know showed me around and we just kicked in had a really great time met a girl um we were just at the beach and we were just like ran past this girl and jumped into the water and then we came back out and this girl was listening to like a self-help podcast by herself and we were like 
that's interesting. So I think she like said something like, oh my God, you guys scared me when we walked out. And then we started talking to her. And then like got her name, got her contact information. She was a student at uh, UCLA. I think it was UCLA, yeah. And um, so basically I kicked it. Pedro was awesome. Like he, this dude, like again, first time I met a, another dude who was into mindfulness, into journaling, into surfing, into, he was Congan water. Like I actually had a Congan water while I was traveling. It was so amazing. And it was just awesome, dude. And it was just, I met a brother and it was just, it was amazing. It was amazing. I met his family. It was just, it was great. And, um, and then I'm like, I was there for like four days, maybe five days. I'm like, all right, I'm itching. I want to, I want to go. I, I need to go. You know, it's really cool. You're like every three days I was in this completely new chapter of my life, new journey. And I'm there and, and the, I, I stayed at a hostel in like the Hollywood strip, which is kind of like New York city, but in like LA and we, um, and I was basically just going to crash there and sleep wake up at like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and uh, catch the shuttle to go up to San Francisco because I wanted to go to San Francisco next. And uh, that girl who I had met, she was like, hey, like, do you want to get drunk and like go to the beach? It was like 8 o'clock. I was like watching a movie. I'm like, uh, carpe diem, brother, let's go. So ended up like she got an Uber and then picked me up, and then we went to the beach and we just talked, chilled. It was like a ghost town. And we went, walked around this town. Um, by the beach in uh, Santa Monica and we uh, again it was like 2 in the morning and this woman comes up to us on a bike and she hands a $20 bill to my friend and she uh, she says like God spoke to me and told me to give you this and this is one of those receiving things where my friend was like no 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 like you keep it because she thinks like she should keep it and the look in the woman's face where it was like she didn't know what to do and she, there was like a pain almost in the fact that like my friend didn't receive that $20 bill. And then she left and it was just such a strange moment, but it was fascinating. Like where like God came down and almost did its thing. But it was just a, it was a fascinating and kind of like thing that will stop you in your tracks. So basically we hung out, said goodbye, woke up the next morning, hopped on the bus, got on the wrong bus, but then found the right bus. And then worked my way up the coast, route one to San Francisco, stayed in a hostel. Uh, bunked it with this guy from Argentina. Oh, what was his name? He was so sweet. And then I was cooking. I had some potatoes and onions. That was it. And um, this guy comes up to me. He's like, oh my God, that smells amazing. And I'm like, oh yeah, thanks bro. And he started talking to me. It turns out his name's John. And he leaves, comes back, and he's like, sends me this paper and walks away. And he's like, hey, my name's John. This is my room number, my phone number. Do you want to walk the to the Golden Gate Bridge? And I'm like, yeah. I have no idea how to get around San Francisco. San Francisco is wild, right? It's so hilly and crazy. And he'd been living there his whole life. So I started walking with John, and um, I was in Chucks, which was a mistake. I had blisters like crazy. But we walked through Chinatown. We walked up the hills. He showed me all the cool spots. We walked by the water. We walked to the San, the, um, the Golden Gate Bridge. He asked me to do speed <laughs> like while we were walking, which was kind of crazy. I declined, respectfully. But um, he'd been through so much. He got like disowned. He got sexually harassed when he was younger. He got disowned by his sister. Like, it was just wild how like sometimes individuals come to you at a certain time in your life. And I just held space, but I was so grateful for him. And then my friend Isabel hits me up. She like, hey, are you still in San Francisco? Because she had actually an uncle or a grandfather who lived in San Francisco. And she was like, I'm coming with you. Because <laughs> it was like pandemic. She couldn't do like any work at school, so she was bored. So she ended up the next day coming up and staying at that hostel. So we kicked it, dude. I mean, like we went with um, John and like we walked around the uh, San Francisco. I walked around the city, got some bread there. The bread's really good. 
and um, just like had a really cool experience. Then we walked to that they have like a really beautiful park. We went to the beach as well. Like it was just awesome, dude. But it was like the craziest synchronicities ever. 14 days where you just completely dive into the unknown and the universe responds with grace and beauty. Like I can't, I can't explain it. I can't articulate it. And it's almost like fairy tale, but there's magic. I think miracles only exist on the, in the unknown. It's the only way, it's the only, it's the only place I can imagine that it exists, right? Because you don't expect it. Miracles is like, it's unfathomable. It's unthinkable. It's unbelievable. It's on the other side of that known. And that's what happened. And that's what I experienced. And it was, I was supposed to go to Bali. Uh, that was kind of my graduation gift on a retreat. But then the pandemic spoiled that. So this was kind of my, my graduation gift. Could have gone drastically horribly, sure. If I was afraid and lived in fear and stayed comfortable and lived and stayed in hotels and didn't make an effort, you know. But I, I made an effort and then it was like the universe just aligned. And then like when I was with Omar, like the second day we got brunch and some dude, uh, we're like eating brunch and then the waiter's like, hey, you guys are good. This guy said he knows you and he's paid for your food. <laughs> and we're like, oh, cool. And we, Omar's, we're trying to like look to see if we recognize a guy and basically like omar didn't know the guy the guy didn't know omar he thought omar was someone else omar goes up to him so sweetly and is like i don't think i'm the person i don't, I don't think i'm who you think i am <laughs> and uh so basically we just got like free food like someone just paid for our, our meal which uh you know maybe i feel kind of bad i don't know but it was like that was a universal thing where it was like we got you andrew you know just like crazy stuff like that so that was a big moment in my life because trust i started to trust i started to put myself in the unknown i remember thinking when i was younger you know, dude, I just want to, there's this part of me that I don't know why, but I want to go to Hawaii and uh, not know anyone and just be a shark in water and just have to swim to survive. I remember being really drawn to that and just really loving that. So that was a big moment in my life. And then I got back from that trip. I was driving from my friend's place and my friend, I flew out of Charleston. So I stayed at my friend's house and parked my car there. So I drove from Charleston back to Myrtle, which was like two hours car blew a gasket literally completely destroyed and um unusable and then my little sister was going through some struggles my mom was going through a couple things i got these signs i'm like i need to go back home so then that december i packed my stuff up and moved back home 2021 happens and i was home i was rocking unemployment at the time i was indoors at my dad's in Pottstown, which was like the last place i wanted to be and i read a lot I was taking emotional intelligence courses. That's another big part of my life where in 2020, I took my first emotional intelligence course, introduced me to breath work, introduced me to doing the work, understanding values, understanding you know, the value of taking responsibility for life, going through my stories, my, my beliefs and everything. And Emil, Emil Steenveld just changed my life. And I took one of his courses and then built a new community. You, go, you do courses and are in communities with people you align with and you connect with people who are in alignment with you and that's how you find your people. So I did that, I did another course when I was in 2021 and I remember having my first panic attack because there was a conversation I'd been wanting to have with my dad that was on my heart for like a month and a half and I was in my head, I couldn't sleep for like a month and a half because I was going over what I wanna say, what I wanna say, what I wanna say and my dad had no idea I was feeling this way and I, I didn't know how to articulate to it to him and it was challenging as anything and I had a panic attack my first one ever because I was holding on to all of that it was a heavy heavy burden a heavy heavy weight and then I spoke it and it was fucking hard dude 
um, I was like, I was so scared. I was shaking, and I was saying these things, and it wasn't coming out the way I, I wanted to. It was parts of it were attacking when I didn't want it to feel that way, and it was really hard. Like it was so hard, dude. But it opened a door, and it opens the possibility for more conversations to be had. Because my, a lot of times when we have when we're resentful or angry at people, a lot of times they may have no idea that we feel this way. So we're just carrying all this hate in us. You, ha we have to have the conversation so that it's on the table and that both parties are aware. And it opened a door for us to have future conversations for him to feel how I feel like maybe you have a loved one who wronged you and you can carry that your whole life but they they're a loved one right my dad loves me and my dad didn't do anything gnarly or anything crazy or anything like abusive or anything by any means but that's a like really sweet wouldn't hurt a fly kind of thing but I ha we all have our stories with our parents right and I just never had a conversation with him. And, he, and because I never had a conversation, he had no idea it was a problem in my eyes. And that I was forced, it was making me feel this way, that I had a panic attack because of it. A lot of people in our lives, we don't, they don't know. So I, I did it. I breathed and I, I made it through it. And it opened the door for a future conversation. And it opened a door for a conversation for him to have with my sister. And then for him to have a conversation with my other sister. And a lot of healing happened in that time. So 2021, I read a lot of books, I studied, I learned about myself, I was doing a lot of Tony Robbins stuff, Dean Graziosi, a lot of personal development in 2021, but not a lot of living, you know, I was kind of just in the lab, but a lot of healing with my dad, and then the next year, we did this Grand Canyon trip, which we'd planned since, or talked about since I was 12 years old, and it's just so healing and medicinal, we hiked for three days, got everything on our back, you know, in our backpack, and you know my dad's guard was down so i was able to my intention was like i don't want to have any secrets anymore and we talked about everything for those three days and my dad said he loved me as we looked up at the stars and said i was always concerned because i'm kind of a wanderer and my favorite quote was not all those who wander are lost and i was like i just didn't know if my dad was scared of for me because i'm not doing a traditional path and my dad you know said as we were just sitting there looking at the stars just i love you and I think no matter what you do, you're going to be successful, and I'm proud of you. You know, that kind of thing. Small things, man. Small things. And it was just such a beautiful trip. And then I started getting back into acting. And I'm going to try to wrap this up quick because I can share these future stories, um, the recent ones uh, in later episodes. But I got into acting, exploring. Finally, I don't want to be 80 years old and look back and wonder what if because every time I've been even today I've been on any set I've been on any theater thing I've done or a class I've taken I've gotten such great feedback from the the crew the cast the creators the people like the people the teachers I just and it, it's just something I love to do too and it's just I'm, I'm pretty good at it and it's really exciting and and doing theater and being on stage was something I was just I was just always curious I didn't you don't know until you know, right? Like, I didn't know how I'd react in a traumatic experience like a boating accident until it happened. I don't know how I'm going to be on stage until I go on stage and just fucking do it. And I loved it, man. I love being in front of an audience. And I'm learning a lot about myself, tapping into my, my art, my creativity. And then I started getting into breathwork. I, I'm a certified breathwork coach, and I learned a lot about breath. Guys, growing up, I had asthma, crippling asthma. I almost... Uh, when I was like six years old, my lungs collapsed on me and I almost died. Uh, doctor said I was so close. And then a year later, 
same thing. And then doctors put me on, the asthma doctor put me on, you know, like, steroids and nebulizers and albuterols and inhalers and all kinds of stuff and saying like you're never going to heal from this I started focusing on my health my nutrition the water I started going deep into functional medicine and functional holistic health I started listening to podcasts and following Sean Stevenson you know and all these guys that I really admire and learning about the food I was putting into my body being mindful about the water I was putting into my body the thoughts the community that I was around the importance of exercise and movement the importance of sleep the importance of getting outside in nature and forest bathing and grounding I started learning about per like purpose like all of these things to create a healthy ecosystem for my body to thrive. I want to thrive. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the, the learning and the, over those, those years really. And I have friends who are, you know, in school and they're doing the path. They're out of school. They're working. They're making good money. They're secure. They're with friends. They're with girlfriends. They're getting married, all these things. And Bro, I'm, I just turned 26 years old and I'm living at home with my parents, you know, working to save up, to move out to California. It's very easy for me to compare myself to others, to my peers, to where I'm at. But even doing this podcast, all the growth that I've developed over the years because I found that changing and building new habits takes months and years. It starts with awareness, but then it takes a long time to change that conditioning because it's programmed on us for so long. And over these last three, four years, guys, like I've been working so hard on myself and being so mindful and intentional and I'm so proud of who I am and I'm proud of where I'm at. And this is, today's my birthday. I want to celebrate, you know, my life and what I've been through and what I've done and what I've created, how I make people feel and also who I am because there, I have a lot of bad, like down days but I try to balance it with my practices because I have so many practices. My gratitude, my music, dancing, singing, you know, cooking healthy meals, finally being able to breathe through my nose because I'm putting nutrient-dense foods into my body. You know, being a breathwork coach was the first time I started facilitating these journeys where I'm able to use music and rhythm and voice and performance and acting and inspiration into this this container to have someone have a breakthrough to see someone go through a, a somatic release getting rid of their traumas and fighting through limiting beliefs overcoming themselves pushing through fear and discomfort it's one of the most beautiful transformations ever and I've experienced it firsthand and for me to facilitate and give that to others what a gift and even if I don't turn it into a business, which I intend to, what a gift it is for myself to understand the power of our breath. And then it got me into free diving and I'm, I'm, I'm learning about free diving and, and practicing and building my lung capacity and my VO2 max and my CO2 tolerance. And I'm just, I'm in love with learning. And I think that's a really cool place to be. I've adopted a growth mindset. I'm really excited about getting out into the world. I feel like this past three years, I worked with my dad also, dude, real estate. I was mowing lawns, I was cleaning apartments, sometimes cleaning shit off of floors, like gnarly stuff, unit prepping. And it sucked, dude, but I listened to podcasts, I went to school, I studied, I evolved, I took classes, I worked on myself, and I've done a lot of work on myself. 
and I finally am starting to know who I am and really love who I am and how I show up and when I move with intention and feel into when I feel bad and how am I feeling and what can I do to make myself feel good. I'm really understanding myself to a different degree that I knew was possible and then I feel like a lot of people don't start exploring until they're later in their life, you know? And I know that this foundation that I'm building right now while I may be behind in this corporate world or normal status of living, I feel like this is gonna exponentially propel me. I'm like, I'm creating this fuel to fire me forward once I get in the game. And I feel like my buddy just reached out about this retreat in January that we were talking about a while ago. And I am, it's gonna be this beautiful reset. New energy, new environments, find my love, find my bliss, because when I travel, when I'm in another culture with a new people and a new energy by the beach, by the water in nature, there's a light inside of me that goes off, that spark, that flame is ignited, and I felt that when I was in South Carolina. I lost it a little bit when I was in Pottstown, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing that in January and then taking the leap to California, and I plan, once I get to California, I'm like, all right, Andrew, you've done all this work, but it's time to get in the game. And that's when the, all that work is going to pay off, right? Because it's like you can meditate in silence all you want, but it's really can you meditate when you're in a truck full of, or when you're in a bus full of people and it's loud and chaotic and crazy? That's the test. So I'm excited and I feel like I'm preparing myself for the chaos of that next chapter and that next step. And I'm really excited to see where that goes, man. I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm blessed. I'm so privileged. I've learned so much about life. There are probably more lessons I could have, you know, intertwined throughout this two and a half hour podcast. If you've listened this whole way, I love you. This is kind of my life story. Again, there's a lot more, you know, love, romance, things I'm interested in, things I'm passionate about, music, freediving, ukulele, you know, just finding my spark and being in community and being in Pottstown. I found that I can find community anywhere, guys. I was so unattracted to this area based off all my assumptions about it and what I've heard. And I was I was indoors my first year and Pottstown sucked in my eyes because I didn't make the effort. And then I started exploring. I found this vegan cafe and this vegan juice bar and I started connecting with the small business owners like I did in Conway. I found Danny B. Funky, which is this really cool hippie, not really hippie, more just like bohemian, awesome, awesome owner. And then the Steel River Play uh, Playhouse in Pottstown, I did a play there. I am, and then going to the YMCA every single day, right? And and the gym, and I found community in this area, and community gives me life. And I realized that no matter where you are, no matter where you go, this is one of the biggest lessons. If you make the effort and you show up with love, dude, you can you can belong anywhere. But I think it really starts with us and knowing who we are, knowing what we value, know what you love, and then go after it. Get into a club. Get into a uh, an organization, things that you love, and then you connect with people who are who love the same things you do, and that's when beautiful things can happen, man. So that was a super, super long journey. Again, that's not my full story, but it's a it's a pretty big chunk of it. My voice is perched. I am late to dinner with my mom. My mom's probably outside that door with all the food. Uh, we're about to watch a free diving movie that I've been waiting for to watch for a very long time. And yeah, today I turned 26. And 
what a number what a number so much experiences so much life that I've lived and I feel like like seven years ago dude eight years ago I was in high school and I was such a different guy and I'm so excited to be a different guy in the next four years and the next four years and to continue to grow and to learn because I am in love with growth I'm in love with learning I'm so fascinated by different cultures I'm fascinated by the different communities you know people who are into cooking people who are I think one of my favorite things that I've learned and over time not too long ago I wrote a list of all the things that I love and I love being in an environment and being with people who are in their flow state who are in their bliss right if people love acting they light up about acting if people are into martial arts they light up around martial arts or cooking or baking or watching films talking about films driving nasty like whatever their element is it brings me so much joy to just witness it and being in people in their element it's amazing and I'm exploring all different avenues I'm learning sign language I really want to learn sign language I think it's amazing I'm gonna learn free diving I want to get better on the ukulele I want to read more books I want to write I want to there's so many things I want to do in life I want to travel so many places I want to see and 26 years again I like I said I can compare myself to others but I'm I'm really proud of of where I'm at and the man I've become um, I feel like I'm awake where I wasn't awake most of my life and when you're awake you can start creating your reality I know what I want a long time I didn't and you kind of just wander that's why I love the quote and all those who wander are lost because I didn't know I didn't have any direction I didn't have a compass I remember when I was in high school and I was so lost I used to look at the stars I used to ask for guidance and I couldn't tell you why I was just talking to the stars, but I felt like someone was on the other end. It's like this magnetic pool. Someone was listening. I can't explain it. I can't articulate it. It doesn't make sense logically. It's it's metaphysical. It's etheric. It's spirituality. It's religion. It's, 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 it's you cannot see it. It's like the wind. But I can feel it. And I felt it. And I felt like I've been guided my whole life. All those dark moments when I went through the depression, when I got mono, when I went through the boating accident, when I had, you know, my sister going through her thing, I had all these downs. God, I learned so much about myself and about life through that. And I'm ready to, to fail in the future and to grow from that. And I've just found that growth is so beautiful. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So thank you guys. <sighs> thank you for the birthday wishes. If you send birthday wishes, if not, I still love you. Thank you for listening. If you listen to this all the way through, this is me. I'm Raw. I'm Andrew. I'm Andrew Larkin. I'm excited for what the future holds. The past is the past, but I honor the past and I learn from the past. And I'm ready to. I'm ready to see what I'm capable of and keep fighting, keep moving forward, and uh, show up with love and light. Be someone the world's never seen before. So, let's do it, baby. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you're digging this, if you're vibing with this, like, comment, rate, subscribe, review. You guys can tell your friends, tell your family. Um, if you guys felt something when I shared this message, hit me up. And um, I've also found one of my favorite quotes is, "A person's name is to that person the, the a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language." Saying someone's name is a gift. There are times in my life where I'm in a down state, and someone randomly says, "Oh, hey, Andrew. That's it. Just hey, Andrew." lights me up lights me up so even just saying hey Andrew I see you I loved it I love that that was amazing and then I say 
hey Jessica, or hey Jeremy, you know. There's something beautiful about seeing someone, and there's something about names where it's very powerful because there's a lot of identity around it. So if you guys connected with this, let me know. I'd love to hear. Uh, we can share stories if you guys have any stories. Again, I have very little judgment left in me. And there's still, I can still feel, because, you know, it's a defense mechanism. So if there is something that happens, there's that little initial reaction of judgment. But I'm so aware and mindful in, uh, in responding instead of reacting in that moment to that judgment. So I would never, never judge. I'm really good at holding space. There's something interesting about how if you shine a certain light, people feel judgment. And they're not going to open up to you if you have an energy um, pushing judgment. So if you don't have any judgment, people are very open to talking to you. And I found that in my life, especially when you're out drinking with buddies or friends or random people come up to you and share their life story. So I'm very good at holding space. So thank you guys again. You guys can follow me on Instagram at Larkin underscore Andrew or on my website at andrewlarkin.me. And as always, small act of kindness for you, for others, makes the world go around. We need it now more than ever. Hug a loved one. Give them a nice bear hug. Human touch is so healing. High five yourself because you are deserving. You are worthy. You are beautiful. You are strong. And you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. And always, always, always strive to live a lucid life. This is Andrew Larkin. One love.